Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, let's try this again, it's Arturo Zurita. Only reason you're going to cut away is because, well, you can't hear us or see us or maybe you overhear us i guess that's what it would be but uh we are here with a live intercut podcast hopefully this is running a little bit more smoothly uh, i want to say um but a shout out to the chat who was here earlier uh one of the things we want to do is to be able to have uh, just just a different way to be able to interact with the intercuties out there and we have a lot of movies a lot of film festival stuff we still haven't even talked about the emmys too many things to talk about but what better way to do it than to discuss it with y'all Exactly. So much stuff to go through. In a little bit, we will get into Titan, the Many Saints of Newark, the New York Film Festival, all sorts of stuff. But first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video feed on youtube.com slash intercutpod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at intercutpod. That's at Intercut P-O-D. That's short for podcast. We're also Intercut Pod on Patreon, where you can support the show for as little as $1 per month. We really appreciate that when you do. We also really appreciate when you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps to grow the show. And when we get those five-star reviews, it makes me happier than when Sean Baker gets an idea for a movie starring a sex worker. That's a Red Rocket reference, and we will get into Red Rocket and other New York Film Festival movies in just a little bit. But first, we want to start this the way that we normally start it here on Intercut with what we are watching. Art, what's on your mind? What are you watching? Uh, we had discussed Venom. Uh, this is the last time we had discussed Venom, which was 30 minutes ago. I still feel the same about it. Uh, you got the first one, correct? Uh, I did catch the first one. I wasn't necessarily as like enamored with it as I think the internet at large was. It's become kind of a big meme movie. And I don't know. I, it's, yeah. it's silly, but it, I, I didn't... I don't know. It's, it's Venom. I don't know. What, did you like it? I forget what you thought about Venom. I forget too, but I I was I, I'm a, I like Tom Hardy. I think Tom Hardy is is dope. I, I like this idea of what Sony's creating with their Sony cinematic universe that is against Marvel cinematic universe because obviously they're separate. This one's in association with Marvel. It's not really Marvel. But I mean, when you have Spider-Man, the cards are so much in your favor. I thought the first one was decent. It's so weird that that's what makes it great. Even if it's not a good movie, it's not a bad watch. You just don't, you can't believe that this man is dunking himself, eating a raw lobster, all these different things. And this time around, Tom Hardy is a story by credit. Tom yeah. Hardy is an executive producer. <laughs> Tom Hardy is acting alongside himself because he's got that earpiece where he actually is hearing Venom. Uh, this time around, it's directed by Andy Serkis. And I had said the first time uh, when, when, when the original came out that it was literally a rom-com. Everyone's on board now. This is literally a breakup movie yeah. that we get here between Eddie and Venom. I don't think it's as good as the first one. I, I think it goes way overboard. I like to compare a lot of these movies um, that are in that PG-13 realm, but they're not exactly rated R, as uh, you don't want to say it's for kids. So it's not necessarily a Happy Meal. It's more like a Mighty Kids Meal. This is for those kids who really want to go out there and get their Spider-Man who's like right to the edge of becoming rated R, but not really because they still got to sell it to kids. Uh, I still think, though, that the first one, which doesn't even have Carnage, works better at like 
almost coming off like it might be a harder rating than it could be. But for a movie that was supposed to have like a really big duke out between um, Venom and Carnage, that really felt like the B plot to me. Mm-hmm. Again, the major part of this movie is this breakup that's happening between Eddie and Venom, which I think around I think you're you have I don't know if there's a phrase for it, Zach. Like, is it maybe like the novelty too, of it is gone? Self-aware. Not even because I know a big comparison that uh, people have been making, and even the producers. So it's not a fan thing. Producers are like that. This is Venom was the original Deadpool. All right, well, it ain't that original at this moment in time when it comes to the features. Um, I think the banter was just better in the first one between Venom and uh, Eddie. I think that the relationship with all the side characters was a little bit better. This one's 90 minutes, and it felt longer than the first for some reason. Uh, I don't think it was terrible, but I don't think this one was great. While the first one was weird and got mixed reviews, it made a buttload of money, and I think that, like you said, it became a meme movie because of uh, what you were seeing on screen. This time around, it's either the same old like it, it's the same type of sequences that we saw the first time uh but nothing gets pushed to the edge i was almost falling asleep with that third act that was happening in the in 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 i don't want to spoil it i guess if it's a spoiler but between Car- the big fight between carnage and uh, venom um i don't know i, I thought it was going to be a lot better uh as i had stated the after credit scene is dope though the after oh, yeah. credit scene is so good to the point that it, it feels terrible to say that an after credit scene is better than the entirety of the movie. Like, that should never be a thing. Your, your, your after credit scene could be a 10 out of 10, but it should never be better than the movie. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what they're going to be doing over at Sony because they do hold all the cards. If at any point they want to yank Spider-Man and take him back, they really can. And uh, they are definitely trying to cross paths. The next one is going to be Morbius with Jared Leto, uh, Oscar winner Jared Leto. I'm sure you're excited about that one, Zach. And I don't, I don't know if they're going to... I don't know if they're going to combine them there or not, but yeah. it's interesting to see two companies that are sharing the superhero um, and how they both want to become adjacent. It kind of Sony reminds you right now of like the friend who tags along because you have the you know, the right people to be able to get into a club. And the Sony peeps are just like right next right next to Marvel saying, hey, you know, we know the Marvel people. Yeah. We're not with them, but like we know someone who knows someone there. Um this one was all right. I, I I rewatched the first one. I still think that that one's got its it's weirdly funny. This one doesn't compare it to that, but we'll see what they do uh, with the next one, considering that they've teased some heavy stuff in the after credits. Shang Chi though, recommend that one. Go see that one. You, it's your favorite of the recent blockbuster or superhero adjacent blockbusters, even Marvel stuff. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, but but like compared to Venom, even you'd say it's better. Although they're very different movies. I don't know if that's like yeah. even a straight-up comparison. I, I know, but what do I always say? If there was a fire, they're the same movie in a box. Which one are you taking? I'm taking Shang-Chi. I'm not taking Venom. Venom, Venom 2 can burn, yeah. which Venom supposedly uh, can't withstand fire or noise. Damn, I sat there for 90 minutes seeing him withhold fire and noise whenever it was convenient. So that was another part. It's a commercial, by the way. There is, Zach, there is literally a Sony Bravia TV. Three characters stop well, in his apartment to be like, "Well, this is nice like TV. the Sony move in their uh, all their Spider-Man franchise stuff, right? Like, what was the one that was in I Central have Park never or, seen or, it or, or to Times this Square, degree, rather?" Bro. Yes, there was that one too. But like, this is a there. There is a character who believes that uh, Eddie is one hundred percent evil. They're, they have found bodies every time Eddie is somewhere. There is no reason to. Is that a Bravia TV? Nice TV, Eddie. <laughs> it it makes no sense for the story, man. But um. 
I bought myself a Sony Bravia TV, Zach. It is beautiful. It is crystal clear. <laughs> it is wonderful. Wow, the, the picture on that TV is really outstanding. The pixels are so fantastic. I mean, I, I just finally was able to get a PS5, as I was telling Zach, finally. And the first thing when I boot that bad boy up is, do you want the Venom playlist? I was like... So I will give Sony that. If there's anyone who knows how to push their products, uh, it's Sony and Apple. You will not be able to see any of their movies or shows or anything without getting that stuff in there. But um, it was fine. It was okay. All right. Uh, what else you got? Are, are we going to uh, Tammy Faye or do you want to do something else first? Uh, yeah, let's do Tammy Faye because this was uh, one of the big ones that we got early on in terms of an Oscar run, especially for... Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is the film that debuted over at the Toronto International Film Festival and then very quickly made its way into theaters everywhere after that. Uh, it's directed by Michael Showalter, who uh, I think he's actually a very interesting filmmaker, although a little bit hard to pin down recently with movies uh, like The Big Sick. And then he did, what was the one with, um, uh, what's her name? Shoot, Sally Field. Um hmm. Where is that oh, where she's like the yeah the uh, it's a little bit it's it's Hello, a little my name er, is Doris. earlier. I know exactly. Yes, that was a cute movie. It was fine. Yeah. She's weird, but she's fine. Also, the uh, Lovebirds with, uh, with Issa and Kumail not too long ago. So South he, by Selection went straight to Netflix. Uh, of course, he's mostly notable for his work on Wet Hot American Summer, which is where I really know him from. I'm a fan of him from, and of course, he did. He was part of that Stella troupe uh, that had the show on Comedy Central. Um, but he's kind of developed a little bit more of the serious side as a filmmaker, and, and this is probably his most serious movie to date uh, in the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, hold on while I mm -hmm. accidentally make my IMDb a little bit too big. Uh, you know, he's got Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield, a couple very talented actors in these lead roles, actors who are really going for it in their performances. Chastain in particular, uh, an actress who... Mm -hmm always kind of feels like she's hoping to get nominated for an Oscar, really feels like she's hoping to get nominated for an Oscar here. And mind really? you, I, I do think that it's a good performance from Jessica Jastain. It's a, it's a broad performance, one that's made even uh, more clownish from the heavy, heavy use of makeup and prosthetics and stuff like that. But it's, she's also embodying kind of like a, almost clownish at times figure in a way in, in what Tammy Faye uh, turned her career into by the end. You know, I think what's interesting about this movie is I feel like they're trying to have it both ways a little bit. And I think you agree mm. with me in this, in that they're trying to condemn uh, these grifters who are, are using um, using this idea of these, these uh, tele of televangelism to sustain their own lavish lifestyles, right? And to um, li live extravagantly. Meanwhile, the movie is also cr trying to make like a backdoor argument that Tammy Faye wasn't as bad as she was treated and that she is actually very progressive in certain ways. And I don't know if they ever quite find the line between the two ideas. Uh, but what did you think about Eyes of Tammy Faye? I agree with you. And two things can be right at once. She can be very progressive. But she is no different than the people who they worked with. Like at that point, you know, it's exactly it's the it's the same thing. There is uh, over on Wow, which is another streaming service I did not know existed. But Wow, it is the home to RuPaul's all of the series uh, that they've got over there. They 
love Tammy Faye. The thing is that Tammy Faye is an LGBT icon. I did not know this. So they had a Tammy Faye Fest to add in between New York Film Festival and Chicago. Tammy Faye Fest was happening, and they had the doc that this movie is based on off of. Um, another documentary that actually covered her at Sundance and the final uh, days of her life because she had cancer and she passed away. Um, and then they even had an entire series from their kid's point of view who is now older trying to run his own church. Hmm. I think that if you watch the doc, you will be informed on a lot of things that the movie doesn't cover. But interestingly enough, the movie covers some stuff that you don't see in the doc. They pass by, uh, let's call it a transgression that Tammy does. There you go. The, the Tammy Faye has right there. Uh, I highly recommend the doc, uh, both docs. Um, I think that they're a really good partner up with, uh, with the movie. But it, it is this weird thing where... They're pretending, because she was accepting of certain people, that she's that they're not as guilty. Like her right. husband didn't literally get found for the things that he did. But hey, Carmela Soprano definitely didn't know what Tony Soprano was doing, right, Zach? Uh, <laughs> you you still end up in that in, in in that thing where it's like at the end of it, they're just trying to make as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. There was another Sundance movie that came out not too long ago that was also based off of a true story about a, a woman preacher who back in the day was traveling to certain places pretending to do certain miracles. I'm I'm blanking on the name now, but I'll try to remember it, or maybe someone in the chat will. Uh, which was more honest on the idea of, like, you can still have that faith that you believe in, but y you know what you're doing when it comes to all this money. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the parts that, that really was effective in the doc, and they kind of cover here, where yeah. they admit to playing up certain aspects for it to be a testimony to the Lord. Um, so in terms of the movie, I, I did feel that it rushed through a lot of, uh, moments, but it was still a good uh, acting showcase for the both of them. <laughs> they had Andrew doing this this thing with his mouth that, that, the, that the real guy still has. He's still alive. The real dude, Zach, is selling essential oils. And, and like supposed COVID cures that he got sued for trying to hawk. I mean, look, you, once a oh. grifter, always a grifter, man. And whether whether you're selling yes, religion or, or modern medicine or, you know, West or, or like you know, essential oil medicine, you know, character comes through, I guess. Uh, I, I do agree, yeah. though, uh, that idea of um, riding the line between what are you serving and are you servicing yourself? I, I think there are moments where this movie actually kind of speaks to that in a really interesting way. The ways in which, um, you know, she can't conceive of preaching the you know the word of god without doing it in a way that serves her and and serves to uh you know elevate her status and and bo boost her own fame and just basically it the way that it critiques how you decide to do what you do right like are you actually doing what you claim to be doing is very interesting but i don't know if the movie fully gets that uh gets that message across you brought up andrew garfield's performance uh i don't know if it necessarily left out to me enough to really think he's like a strong contender for end of year awards performances uh, I, I don't know what you think but i think for me jessica Chastain is probably high on the running for best actress like maybe even a threat to win this year yeah i could see that and like you said it always comes off like she's definitely looking for that award mm -hmm. The entire marketing for this was literally that because I know uh, we like to have discussions about the movies and say, does it really need to have, you know, the Oscars brought up? It kind of does because that's their entire rollout for this. I know one of the things that they said was that she had damaged her face because of the makeup. Tammy Faye was known for having permanent right. makeup. The reason it's called the eyes of Tammy Faye is that her eyeliner 
and her lashes, including uh, the, the the lipstick around her, her mouth, is permanent. It is tattooed on. You cannot change it. Um, I saw her on the red carpet making love visually with their eyes to Oscar Isaac. She looked exactly the same as she did at the past. So it definitely seems like they are doing everything in their power to push this performance. I definitely think it's gonna it deserves the nomination. There is another movie we will talk about later, though, where that is a leading performance, in my opinion, and that one should take it. But it's international, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we will see in regards to that. Moving on, should we... Actually, do you want to get into Titan? Should we, should we kick that off? Zach, I thought it was Titan. I'm seeing it pronounced a lot of different ways. I think we need to bring Amanda on here. The, the like, casual. There's a little bit of French, I think. So, and maybe enough to, to. She's gonna come in. Correct. She's us. gonna come in and say Titany, and I'm, we're not gonna really be like, well, we don't. Know. But uh, this is a movie film, Zach. <laughs> yeah, um, it comes already with prestigious accolades, having won the Palme d'Or at Cannes from the uh, Spike Lee jury as well. So it, a pretty amazing uh, feat to win the Palme d'Or. I want to say that Julia Ducarnau is the first female director to pick up that prize. Um, and for, for you and me, coming off of being big fans of her last movie, Raw, I, I think that was just super exciting news to hear that she's following up a, a really great debut film with a, another movie that's really resonating with people. Uh, Titan, I, you know, it's a movie that I don't even want to talk too much about because part of the fun is getting surprised by by how uh, by all the different twists in the story and all the outlandish things that happen. I think suffice to say, uh, you know, it's it's part coming of age story, part family drama, part body horror in the spirit of David Cronenberg. Uh, it, it's an mm-hmm. interesting mix of of ideas and of genres, and unfortunately, like I don't know if it all fully clicked for me. I, I do kind of want to catch it again because it is so much movie. I, I really liked the first half, and as it got as it sort of shifted between genres a little bit, I found myself falling out of the rhythm of the movie. But what did you think about Titan? Uh. There is a fresh 30 millimeter print at the music box. I was telling Zach that I really wanted to catch this with an audience to see them squirm. I don't think I like it more than Raw. Raw is definitely fantastic. And yes, your lighting does look like like it came straight out of the movie. But there are sequences in this movie that weren't just like it has you reflexing on it there's there's also a lot of elements that i do want to rewatch because we were trying to interpret certain scenes a certain way like is it the car that's doing that is it representative of something else than an interaction that she just had there's a lot of religious uh things going on as well in terms of a father and a son and honestly really a holy spirit that Mm -hmm. may come in and do something to someone's body uh so there's there's various elements in there that i want to go back and see um and listen to just it's definitely a movie that i feel like would reward that kind of unpacking uh, get mm-hmm. through multiple views. It, it looks beautiful. It sounds incredible. But then on top of that, I believe that it is one of the best performances of the year, without a doubt. Just the commitment that went into this role, uh, a lot of the, the, the makeup on, on her as well, I thought was <laughs> incredible because if you were to show a frame of when you first see the actress and then a frame of when you finally see the actress, yeah, fantastic. Um Technically, it is I would a recommend marvelous Raw for movie, for sure. Yes. 
if you have not seen any of her films before, start with Raw first, which is also not a very easy entry. But somehow this is way more uh, way more in your face. But yeah. uh, I can't wait to catch it again and, and discuss more of the metaphors and elements that are in there. Yeah, I kind of think that Raw falls a little bit more into like a traditional uh, coming-of-age structure, even if it does have those kind of horror elements thrown in there. You, you got It's a sexual awakening through... Uh, through, you know, body horror. But Titan is yeah. a little bit more of a mix of ideas and, and maybe would make that kind of movie a little harder to uh, penetrate at first. But it's... It, <laughs> there's so many memorable moments, so many memorable ideas. I don't know, maybe... Am I just dead inside? Have I been watching too many Fantasia Fest movies that I, I wasn't squirming the way that I thought I would, the way that... I feel like most people who are reviewing this movie on Letterboxd say they are. Yeah, I think you're sick, bro. <laughs> this, this movie was gross. I, I, watched, I don't know what you're talking about. I watched Fruit one too many times. That's probably it, man. I don't know. But hey, maybe maybe you've just seen more more of the Fantasia, uh, what was it, the erotica ones that were there. But I thought this one just did it, and I was not expecting it. But there is a certain object that gets thrust in a certain scene, and it just had And it knows it, too. There, it, it, I think what this does that that uh, Raw sometimes would catch you off guard is that this one sets you up for something that's about to happen. And you know someone's about to break something or someone's going to get disfigured or someone's going to get hurt. And it'll set you up with the image right before it happens, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, raising the tension. So it's playing. It's playing with the audience, and I think it does it in a very effective way. It is an insane movie watch it with your family make sure your grandma's there <laughs> save it for thanksgiving it should be on movie please don't i, I don't want to be responsible for for that <laughs> uh, all right so uh, titan is playing part of new york film festival uh but we're not going to get to that quite yet we still gotta go back through some more of the tiff films because uh we haven't talked about dear evan hansen on intercut yet and and boy that is that is a movie that came out. Um, uh-huh. You know, I'm... Next I'm, up, we have Blue Bayou, and Blue Bayou <laughs> was... <laughs> no, I mean, let's talk about Evan Hansen for, for a little bit here, because it is a very curious case, sure. since it is uh, a movie that won the Tony for Best Musical, uh, and it, it it has a very dedicated fan base who, who loves this film a lot. I, I you know we've spoken to some people who really like this movie, or like this show a lot, and for whatever reason, it's it's been completely uh, dismembered critically since it's been released. I think there are a few reasons for that. Um, obviously, people have been talking about how, just the look of Ben Platt in this film because that that they want you to think that's a high schooler. But you know. I, it's interesting because it's I don't know if it's as much about his face as much as his hair and makeup just doing him completely dirty, caking his face with so much makeup that it just looks like plaster and not like skin uh, in an unnatural way. He Shaving almost seems more like he almost looks more like a CGI creature than a real human being for much of the film. But ultimately, I, I don't know if that's the thing that lets the movie down Ooh. as much as that. I think. There's something that happens when you translate something from the stage to the screen, and that's you lose 
um, the body language and the the interactions between people from moment to moment, right? Like you'll you'll have a song that's a big musical number that'll cut all over the place, and then it'll end in a moment between two characters. Like for for example, there's a kiss that almost happens at one point, and it just feels like psychotically timed in a way that I don't know if it would have felt as bad on stage if you see the two actors circling each other going closer to each other rather than constantly cutting around and not sitting in that moment with them, if that makes sense. Right. So I don't know. I didn't see it on stage, but I kind of feel like there are certain things that you can communicate non-verbally when you have an actor in front of you and, and you're not looking at the little wrinkles in his forehead um, that maybe just don't communicate the same way in film. I saw it on stage. Uh, The last time I was in New York. Very hyped up. I didn't get it, bro. Nope. It wasn't for me. Uh, and I'm talking about the state. I'm talking about the story. The story yeah. is very weird for me. It's a weird story. Um, I know that a lot of people have issues with it. I am not one, though. Let me make sure that I put this out there. You could tell a story like this. I could think it's super weird. I could think he's a problematic character, all that. 100%. It's just a weird story. And it, I don't know. At no point am I like actively rooting for the character yeah. or even enjoying what I'm seeing on screen. It's a very big cringe fest. And then for the for the movie adaptation of it to come out in a way where I would forget that it was a musical, they, they would like really write it off like you're just watching a drama. And then they would break into song and every single time I would get caught off guard. I was like, I completely forgot this was supposed to be a musical because now the sequences are much longer where they're just speaking. They have cut out elements dealing with some of the most important characters in particular the mothers. And I thought that was dumb. There are moments, you were talking about the hair and makeup, which yes, they cake his face completely different haircut than what he had on the on the broadway show as well but you could tell that he was shaving yeah because you put him against uh what what's his name who was an atypical and like he looks like a face that is not grown hair this man looks like he was shaving every single morning cutting that five o'clock shadow right before he went on the set right <laughs> the way that they edit this movie julianne moore will be hitting a high note and it's not even the camera's not even on her it's on the reaction to this boy over here mm-hmm. Made no sense to me. I, again, uh, having seen him, having seen the movie, having seen it uh, on Broadway, having it be the exact same performer, does he hit the notes? Does he sound fantastic? Yes, I don't think he sounds bad. I think he kills it there. Does it look really awkward when the moment is not on stage and it's a camera just following you in the woods and it won't cut away from you? Or you're in someone's house next to a window and it's like, all right, we're going to make this a long take. There is a reason why What's Her Name won the award when she did uh, Les Mis. It was... Because you were feeling the emotions of what she was going through. And I did not care what he was going through. And it was shot terribly. So it makes it look so awkward. And the makeup does not help. Uh, I guess shout out to his dad. Because his dad was the one who said it was imperative as a producer that his son be in the show. So, yeah. Uh, that's a whole other reason why I feel like the pile on is happening. Is people are more aware of Mark Platt. Ben so. Platt's father's role in uh, Ben's career. And as well as the production of this movie. Uh, you know, we were looking. Zach. Was, yeah. Zach, I just found out who Lucas Hedges' father is. <laughs> you didn't find out when he directed the 2017 film Ben is Back? Ben is Black? <laughs> I never want to hear anything else about Lucas Hedges ever again, bro. <laughs> but that's not even the best Lucas Hedges performance by far. Sure. It's not. You're right. It's not. <laughs> Uh, Pink Sweet says that the order of the movie was very odd. The stage production starts differently yes. than it did in the film. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. You were also weird. also mentioning flow, something. You were also mentioning something that I found very strange about um, this, and this is something that is maybe just a problem I have with the genre of like musical theater in general. But there's a moment where Ben Platt's character goes viral for singing a song. I don't, I don't think that's too much of a spoiler to say. Um, no, but, but it's weird because like there are we supposed to think they're always all singing because he just sort of breaks into song i like i thought i thought when you break into song it's supposed to be supposed to be like representative of what you're doing not like you're actually singing in front of all of your school yeah i don't i don't know i i felt like the way that they covered it was completely different there was an element in that and what you're talking about when there's a montage and it shows everything and you could tell this movie's been in development for so long because they forgot to add tiktok and there's one last minute addition to tiktok that's added there everyone's on facebook live <laughs> Everyone's on Facebook Live, Zach. Uh, man. Yeah. When's the last time you were on Facebook Live? Not today because it's all down. So, yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. It was clearly delayed for, for what it was supposed to be. But uh, I see someone in the chat was had mentioning everyone's talking about Jamie. I know this one was on Prime. I haven't caught that one yet. Um, but perhaps watch that one. It's at home. Um, <laughs> I know they had a, a little bit of a messy rollout there. People were asking for this movie. Yeah. in certain theaters and they just completely ignored them yeah and um, now it's sitting on prime yeah that seems to be amazon's strategy sometimes it's just like oh we have a movie you want to watch it tough luck try and find it maybe you'll find a represented communities and making sure they get a vote what is that what you want it theater who, who represents underrepresented communities nah. no nah. and now she's watching on prime, prime. Right? you can pay jeff bezos 130 dollars <laughs> per year like the rest of us um, I, I was curious about did oh, you, that's due from you too, Dan. <laughs> I was curious about everyone's talking about Jamie I didn't get around to that one I know a lot of people were also complimenting Come From Away which just had uh, just put up a film's performance uh, on Apple TV yes. Plus did you catch that one? yeah decent Glad I didn't have to pay. I remember when I would, again, same same time when I was over there watching all of the uh, Broadway shows, I was like, damn, do I really want to pay for Come For Away? That one was packed. It was really expensive. It was, you know, at the, the top of what it is. I can see it in the comfort of my own, of my own home. Netflix has a Diana one. I'm going to see that from the comfort of my own home. Everyone who saw Hamilton, I'm liking these. I don't know why it had to take a, a global pandemic for people to realize that maybe we can get more people to have access to these shows. Right. And it doesn't take away. You saw Hamilton. You saw In the Heights. Does it? Would you not go back and see those shows if you know it was reasonably priced and if you could? Yeah. There's a completely different perspective when it comes to these shows when you're watching it on stage. Mm -hmm. it, it's a completely different viewing experience. Yeah. Comfortable and, and way was I again. I, I. What? Oh no, I was just gonna say like especially just like the emotionality of some of these shows. Like it's a completely different experience to see it in the theater. And if you really connect with one of these shows, maybe you're more likely to go buy the ticket. Exactly, bro. There is a we have a theater over here and uh, yo why why am I being so disrespectful? Gone Girl, Leftovers, uh, Twin and Gone Girl. Oh, um, Carrie Coon. I, I'm so disrespectful there because I've been hyping her up like crazy. Carrie yeah, Coon's gonna be here. Our girl. I'm gonna be right in. I'm gonna be right in front of her. I want Carrie Coon to yell in my face in this performance. There is a difference when you're when you're when you're in there watching somebody. For example, Lucas Hedges. I see him on screen, and I think he's terrible. But when we saw him live on Broadway, Zach, I knew he was terrible because now he was right in front of me. There is a visceralness to when you see his He was fine play. in that show. He was fine. 
So in terms of the story for Come From Away, uh, I thought I thought it was fine. Um, it, it has to do with uh, one of the planes or several planes that were landing in this one town that got overloaded after 9-11. So everybody needs to, you know, come together uh, from away in order to be able to just survive there, you know, especially because of the anniversary that just happened. And every streaming service had a 9-11, um, <laughs> 9/11 content that was out there. Right. Uh, Apple decided to pull up with the play. They brought the rights to the play. And I, I think it was filmed very well. Uh, obviously, there are aspects of it where because it's a play, you're seeing all the characters play multiple of these different uh, people who are on the flight. Um, but I think it's a decent story. Uh, I, w- I would recommend it. Um, emotional, funny, songs were pretty catchy, and uh, I'm glad I did not have to pay $200 for a ticket. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we got another comment here. As long as we're on this little musical bent, did either of us watch the James Corden starring? No, we're not doing that, bro. Cinderella. We're not doing that. You, you doing don't that. even want to give That's it a little not. like that was a complete waste of time. And why? Why does? Why Zach. are you doing a jukebox musical of Cinderella with songs from? Like, Look, it's right there. Four oh, different okay, decades up, for some I reason. Like, I was like, bro, how is it the sponsored ad on the IMDb? And then I remembered who owns IMDb, Zach. Amazon. Amazon. Uh, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I had written a whole video. I scrapped it, bro. Like, I put so much... Like, I was... We were writing all these jokes and stuff. We cut up the movie, had it ready to go for edit. I was like, I just don't. Amanda put up 25 minutes. Bless her soul for giving y'all 25 minutes for the content for that. Minutes. Go check out her video. Oof. I cannot. This, this is too much, bro. Cinderella, not for me. Yeah. Um, Another one that's just sitting there. It, it Kind of a disaster in every way, right? Like, mm-hmm. it just... See, it's completely bizarre in concept and its execution uh it's been a year full of musicals and i kind of feel confident in saying this was the worst of them even in a year with there evan hansen uh but should we move on to a non-musical maybe the polar opposite of a musical in uh blue bayou yeah let's talk about this one because this is like uh originally um he did uh was the last movie they did was the sundance uh gook Gook, I know, had was an indie darling. It had, you know, some pushback for the story that I know he had said he had based it off of a, uh, an actual event that had happened in California. He's doing the same thing again with Blue Bayou. This time, though, I have been hearing a lot of people have some more criticism because he bases off certain things. Uh, but then obviously he has to add his own artistic thing to it. For me, Blue Bayou, uh, starring himself, the director, Justin, um, also has, what's her name? Because we're getting another renaissance with this, bro. Uh, Vikander coming back. I've yeah. seen her in like five movies this year. She continues to. She's been banking those performances. Up, up little roles here or there. I'm all for it, bro. <laughs> she can be in all the movies. Um, but yeah, Justin plays a, a character who is an adoptee, and he is living. Was it in New Orleans, and struggles with the idea that there is a law that does make him a citizen. But because I guess it was like retroactively done, um, he is now no longer considered a citizen. Uh, yeah. So he is getting he deported. Was, he was adopted at a young age, but he was not originally born in America. So because he doesn't have the proper documentations or whatever, he it can't become a full citizen and is getting deported. And you know, at the end of this movie also does a little bit of that like epilogue thing where it talks about how this is a big issue. And uh, of, of course it's, oh, yeah, it's uh, been covered, I think more and more in the news. I, I, I've seen several articles about it, particularly in the last couple of years. 
Um, so it's a it, very interesting premise for a story. Um, that said, like this, I don't know if that's necessarily the crux of the story. The crux of the story is this guy dealing with you know the like li- life as an outsider and what it's like to kind of scrape by and be sort of recovering from a life of dealing with some seedy people and maybe being an uh, ex-convict and how, how difficult it is to kind of reassimilate into society. Um, I, I don't know if the characters are, are drawn s- with enough specificity for me to really feel like it was lived in. It, it kind of felt like a movie portrayal of that world uh, added with some yes. grittiness because it's shot in 16 millimeter and granted like 16 millimeters dope. Like I, I, I love, uh, some good 16 millimeter cinematography, but I don't know. I don't know if it was pretty or just shot in 16 millimeter. Uh, I, I don't know, man. There, there's some interesting things going on here, but it didn't really coalesce with me. And I, I found myself struggling to really invest in the, these characters with some of the decisions they made too. Yeah. Like you had said, it gives you the text right at the end where it's, you know, it's one of the, not to call it a message movie, but it's telling you like, Hey, we're trying to, sh- shine some light on this and there are elements where they do go a little bit too much in my opinion there is a drama element where it's like wow this is a sequence that's supposed to be very tense and they're acting their hearts out and then the way that it's shot is like zooming in on these dramatic close-ups and then that's not it the music is coming in with these crazy harps and stuff and i'm like it was a little too overbearing i understand the sentimentality that they're trying to give to it um especially with this family but it, it was fine I, I, I don't think it was a bad movie. I just yeah. think that uh, what ke- what keeps it from being great is that it's not as subtle as it thinks it is. No, not at all. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's Blue Bayou. Uh, we got a couple others here to get to before we go to New York Film Fest stuff. I don't know if you want to spend a minute on Cry Macho, the, the latest from that guy, Clint. Uh, Cherry Yellen, Gun Toten, Women, Swoon. 90-something-year-old Clint Eastwood? I have a whole Clint Eastwood collection. I grew up watching his westerns. I grew up watching all the movies that this man was in. I love Mystic River, so it's not like I am against his direction. But as everyone knows, it's one-take Clint. He don't care to give you anything else other than what needs to be done. The man's, what, damn near 100 years old. He he doesn't have time to, to pull a David Fincher and see you just overact over here. This is a movie where I did not... In The Mule, the man had a three-way. Two, two three-ways. In this one, he's he's siding women, bro. There, there are literally <laughs> drug lord women who are like, oh, man, they want to be with him. And he's like, nah, I'm going to go over here with this hotel lady. You can't tie me down. Do. Um, was I'm an independent to- <laughs> man. <laughs> It was supposed to be this anti-Western thing that he's doing with this kid trying to return him to his father. So he's got to go to Mexico, doing the mule thing again to bring him back. And he's trying to kind of be like what the Irishman was supposed to be for mafia movies mm-hmm. in where it's it's trying to dissect the masculinity of uh, of the genre. It doesn't do that, no. especially when it's coming from the man who like did it. At least, you know, with Scorsese, he was reflecting back on all the all all, all of the movies that he had made. I don't know, man. This one was not for me. This is coming from the man who who grew up watching a bunch of Clint Eastwood movies. I think The Mule was better than this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Very stilted dialogue when it comes down to the to the two characters of him and and the little kid. Uh, a lot of accents that were stretched out. I remember you telling me about a line where you're just like, this doesn't even make 
sense in terms of the characters switching from Spanish to English. Um, but it's not, you know, Clint, that's what he does from Gran Torino down to this. Mm-hmm. He, he likes being the no, he, the one grumpy old white man who's just there trying to get the plot across. And he likes to work, man. You know, he's pumping out movies. He's basically making one a year. You know, he's, he's on that... Uh, what used to be the Woody Allen diet of filmmaking, where you just you just don't no need for a second draft. That script's good enough. Nope. Let, let's go. Let's shoot. Let's do it. And uh, may you know maybe one in five is going to turn out to be something memorable, but uh, the rest end up just kind of slipping through the cracks and being forgettable. And I think this is pretty much mm-hmm. bottom of the barrel, Clint. Uh, it just kind of is a <laughs> film that makes no sense with a 94 year old man or I think I forget how old he is. It doesn't make any sense with a, a man, any older than 50 years old, I would say uh, in this role yeah. ba- based on what he, uh-huh. he's asked to do and beyond just the, you know, uncanny Valley of watching him try to, you know, tame a wild stallion. Yo, they put this man on a wild stallion and they cut this up, making us believe that this dude who couldn't Making even walk us point believe. A point B. <laughs> he jumped on this wild horse. Like, come on, man! That that audibly made me laugh, bro. Yeah. I, I I couldn't believe what I was watching. But there's a like, bunch I, of stuff like that. That's just silly. That's like even if it it doesn't match the kind of more grizzled tone of some moments. I mean, there's like the the big uh, bad of the movie or whatever is is literally felled by a rooster. Like, this is some Disney Channel original movie bullshit. That's Cry Macho, okay? You never cry. <laughs> I don't know, man. It um, was okay, man. I don't... I don't, I don't want to be too too harsh on uh, on Clint. You know, it's it, good for good for him. He's getting out there, you know. Uh, nobody can stop I, him. I just, I think he needs to, yeah. He needs to stop being in the movies himself. This is someone, again, who loves his acting. I agree. He, he, needs, he needs to be directed. I think he's a great director when it's not him in front of the camera at this point. And I think he needs to stick more to that. Um, and I think he gets some solid performances. Because even with Richard Jewell, uh, I didn't love that movie, but I still thought, uh, was it Bates? She did, did, she did a fantastic Bates, yeah. job as the mom. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we've got a couple more here. I guess we can go to The Many Saints of Newark, which uh, I know you haven't caught yet because you're trying to do a little bit more of your Sopranos no rewatch. I just One figured left. Let's, let's go for it. Um, I, I, I'm gonna, you know, I caught enough of Sopranos. I'm just gonna work my way through this. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of spoilers here, but I do think the kind of interesting thing about The Many Saints of Newark is in how little interest it has in continuing the story of The Sopranos. It's kind of like, it, you know, it's like, yeah, there's there's a guy you recognize, there's a character you recognize, and uh, oh, yeah, we have the son of James Gandolfini here, but he, he's mostly kind of hanging out with his friends. It's really not really about it. Who plays <laughs> Who plays Johnny Soprano? Oh, uh, John Bernthal, the man. Well then, okay. Did you not know that? I don't know who plays who. All I know is that, um, that... The, what's his name playing Tony is his actual son. Yeah, Michael Gandolfini. That's all I know about playing uh, the young. That's all I know is that Tony. it's a prequel, and that yeah, he's. That's it. That's all I know. Well, yeah, the movie is mostly about the Dicky Moltisanti character played by Alessandro Nivola, and he's giving an excellent performance here. But like he he's mostly very like tangentially involved in Tony's life, which, which is very silly 
when the marketing campaign is so heavily centered on like the man who made Tony Soprano. Like this is almost like Soprano, an A twenty four. This is almost like an A twenty four level of bait and switch marketing, and that that's really not what this movie is about. And it's almost like I almost want to commend David Chase for writing a script, and I he. David Chase very clearly was interested in racial tensions in Newark in the 1970s and wanted to write a movie about that and realized, if I, may, if I name one of the Italians Moltisanti, then HBO is going to finance this, you know? So he, he did it. He kind of found, halfway found a way to make a movie he wanted to do just by, by using that Sopranos IP. So I got to respect the hell out of that. Just working one over, getting the movie he wanted to get made. And yeah, yeah, you know, somebody will show up and it'll feed the fanboys a little bit. But that's not what this movie's about. Uh, and it's very funny to see people get upset about stuff like that. Why? He's already got several episodes about that in season four. Some fantastic episodes. Yeah, dealing but he was with still that. more interested in that, I guess. Got Leslie Odom in here. I guess so. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing this. Dude's a stacked cast. Yeah. Look, Vera I, is I, Livia. I could. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't love uh, the movie, but I did find it interesting, and mostly I found it brave. Okay. I have to check it out. I got 30 days to finish my season six A and then six <laughs> six B, and then I could watch this. On they HBO were the first Max one to do that, like split season thing. I think right. Bro, we were looking back. We were trying to put it together. And Alina was like, well, when was, okay, uh, Breaking Bad would have been afterwards. And, you know, a lot of people like attributing it to Breaking Bad. But, yeah, I think it would have been done. Nice. Legend status. All right. So um, that is most of the stuff that we we're going to get to. I don't know if you had anything else. If there's uh, any questions that we can take in the meantime, too, feel free to leave it for us in the chat. I'm going to point out that Tommy said yeah. he didn't like the pacing in The Many Saints of Newark. I get that. It was sort of an oddly paced film, kind of uh, one of those movies that doesn't necessarily really reveal itself until later. Uh, but I, I think a lot of that comes from how David Chase likes to make these kinds of stories where he sort of uh, lures you in and then stabs you in the back for maybe thinking something something was cool when it, you really shouldn't have thought it was cool or something like that. But, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. I don't know if it fully worked for me. Um, maybe I'll, I'll revisit it after my Sopranos rewatch um, at some point. I know we, we got a question earlier, though. Uh, here, Cinefile Davis asked if have we heard anything about how similar Sundance Virtual be, will be compared to last year. Oh, uh, that's a good question. We just got those emails. Are, did you get a chance to read through some of that? Yeah, I'd read through every nook and cranny of that bad boy. So last year, uh, and we had gone through this, They, when they were doing the virtual, because I remember we were doing streams going through every single uh, piece of it, what they did was they had like a, a different passes in terms of a $350 pass that covered it all, and then day passes, meaning that you can pick a day once the schedule comes out, and if you like that day for movies, you buy that day pass and you're able to watch you know, whatever feature films, and included with it all the shorts. So in between you know, the schedules, you're able to do that. What I'm hearing is that they will have in person this year. Every movie, unless studios decide to change it, will also have a virtual release. And the pass this time around is no longer 350, it's 750. However, it seems like the same rules apply of last year, which means that you only get 10 selections. What they do, if you're, if you're looking to do it virtually, I, I'm very curious to see how they're gonna split it from in person. Those 10 selections are for the premiere day. So say something comes out on a Monday, right? Monday night's the big premiere. 
by the next day, that will be in the VOD selection. So when you buy a pass, you get 10 selections for the premiere dates, but you get unlimited for when it's on VOD, as long as you're first come first serve. So to me, even though the pass went from being 350 to $700, I still think it's a steal because, I mean, we practically stole from them last year at that point <laughs> with how cheap it was. 750 still isn't bad when you remember that these all-access passes what, back in 2020, 2019, are $3,000. As long as every movie is still, um, every movie that's still playing in person is still playing online, then I do think that getting the $750 pass, you know, you're at home, you're not spending all the lodging or the traveling or all that stuff, is still going to give you everything that you need. 750 is a lot, though. So if you go up to the other ones, as I was telling you, uh, once the schedule comes out, pick a day that you like the most. You will be able to watch any of the stuff from that day that you want. Yeah, a lot of our friends from last year got right there. It's very good. And if I may say you don't want to risk watching the VODs the next day, I did the math. $700 divided by only 10 movies is coming out to a very hefty price, right? That's $70 a damn ticket. Yeah. Zach, how much, are, how much are the solo tickets? Uh, I believe the individual tickets are just $20. So why would you have it break down to 70 bucks? I will say, individual tickets, they choose last as opposed to having a package. Right. So, so you might get sold you may out wanna... of your uh, high-profiles premiere. If you exactly. So, so you may want to consider, maybe if you don't have 750 for the day pass, you can still get, if you go up to the, or sorry, for the long pass, if you go to the day pass, the day pass gives you how many tickets? Uh, where's that day pass? Uh, four screenings? Four screenings divided by 125. You're paying $5 more, but you're getting early access, access to select your films for the day. And it, they even throw in the entire short film selection, the indie episodic, and the new frontier, which is the VR stuff. So if you have the technology to do that, you're able to go with it. That, that uh, um, what do they call that one? The Explorer Pass is 50-something dollars. So... Take that into account when you're doing that. You can buy multiple day packages, if I'm not mistaken. So if you see the days you like the most, snatching those up so then when the schedule gets dropped, you are able to actually pick the selections that you want for those days. And it could still run you cheaper than that main um, pass that they're selling for 700 and something dollars. Exactly, but again, yeah. the awards winners package is a great thing. It gives you eight award-winning films. Uh, those I did not really see sell out that much last year, and everybody who had an awards package that I know of was able to catch all of the movies that they wanted. And those would be the final two days of the fest. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is to ask yourself, like, how many movies are you trying to see? Do you really care about, do I, do I need to see this one or two, these one or two films, or can I just see, like, five of the ten movies I'm interested in, right? And depending on how... Mm -hmm. Um, how strict you are in terms of what you're interested in. You should maybe pr prioritize, uh, you, you gotta probably spend a little bit more to get higher in that like priority queue, right? So mm -hmm. as, as long as you are a little bit more easygoing with your selection, maybe wait for those individual tickets. But if you, if you know there's certain movies you gotta see, you gotta consider spending for those like bigger or bigger passes. But uh, it should be interesting, I'm hoping that just about everything's going to be online this year. Have they confirmed whether or not everything will be online this year? They said early on that it is going to be split down the middle. You will be able to see it in person. You will be able to see it online if you'd like. Again, that comes down to the studios. Yeah. Look at Tribeca. 
last minute they decided, you know, because the studios told them, hey, these movies will not be screening online. The press didn't even get the access. Look Same at New York. Tiff. Look at Tiff. Right? A lot of... A lot of these movies were supposed to be virtual, and then right in the last minute, people have made full-out plans, and they switch it. So I cannot confirm that. Even with the VOD thing, they may take that away, and I thought that was one of the best things, that all the movies can premiere in one day, and then 24 hours later, they will all be posted up on a VOD-type platform. We'll see. But we'll keep you all updated on any of the changes that come. I know some of the important dates are there, so make sure you go on the website. Make sure you have your account all logged in and all that stuff. Um, but as Zach is going to cover as well, besides New York, we also have Chicago on the horizon that's going to start October 13th. They have some virtual screenings, plenty of virtual screenings. You can see P Petite Maman, the new one from Celine. That's going to be on there. New Fest starts the 15th as well. Some really good movies that we covered from last year. The Philly Independent or the Philly film festival and the memphis indie start the 20th so a bunch of ones to get on as well as in november there's going to be sliff st louis's uh new orleans and afi which to me afi if they continue doing virtual which they say they will best bang for your buck bro not even close all the dates are right there uh just just make sure that you you're ahead of all of those because last year i was playing catch up when I wanted to see One Night in Miami, so Zach and I were going through each film festival, seeing who had tickets available. Will the VPN work here? Tennessee, there's no VPN center in Tennessee for me to log into. So uh, I love it. Uh, I'm actually working on a virtual film festival video now for LME because hey, it's one of the best ways to explore movies and travel yeah. all around the world. You're supporting the film festivals, you know, and there's still a seat open there if anybody wanted to fill it. Um, but more people get to see the movies. So a yeah, lot of good festivals. And like right you were saying, like, you know, this is a chance to catch the films uh, after they've gotten their first round of hype, but before they're available to the general public. And, you know, they're usually going to be cheaper than if you go to a fest like Toronto or New York. So awesome way to kind of be, you know, keep your finger on the pulse without necessarily breaking your budget. Mm -hmm. so. Really quick, though, before you ask another one, there was a couple I did want to go down through. Yeah. Because uh, some people were mentioning Midnight Mass. Uh, in terms of Midnight Mass, which came out the newest one from uh, Mike Flanagan, I do not think it is better than Blind Manor. I don't know if any series will be his Blind Manor yeah. stuff. That one was really up there. Uh, or sorry, sorry, Hill House, my bad. Hill House. Blind also, Manor would be second. I really like Blind Manor. I kind of have. The, I, I I agree that Hill House is above, but I have them kind of like neck and neck, almost neck and neck. Midnight, I thought was going to surpass Hill. Really. I think it's tied. Bly? I think it's tied with Bly for me. Really? I think it's tied with Bly for me. Uh, I think it's a really solid series that, uh, for many uh, who are going into it, know that it's less on the jump scares and more on this like theological talk. Like that's that's what really surprised <laughs> okay, me. Okay, that's um, what I gotta ask you. It as, shouldn't considering it's midnight mass. As as a as a person who does not have that religious background, who who does not know much about the church. Uh, Will I enjoy the show, or do you kind of need to have been traumatized in that way? Ooh, uh, I think you will. I think you will recognize a lot of these people. I think what I can confirm is, is as you're seeing these people and you're going like, wow, that's a character, that I've met these characters, mm -hmm. <laughs> that I know these people, that it sounds like they're coming off really cartoonish. They are not. It, this is uh, a very interesting show in terms of pitting different religions together and kind of isolating the world into what would be this tiny island. Um, and where you have a congregation who's trying to expand. You have a police officer who's Muslim and is just trying to look out and make sure that everything's going okay. And then a, a subplot, Zach, that I don't know if you know, but the uh, the Midnight Mass Twitter profile is spoiling it. There is a 
third act change that happens, and uh, it is a completely different series. It's a completely different genre. So that happens. <laughs> All right. And I thought it was decent. I, I will get into more. I'm working on a spoiler video for that, yeah. but I will say if you are a fan of the other stuff, I think you will still like this, but if you were one who particularly only liked Hill House and you thought Bly Manor was too slow, I'm going to be honest with you, then doesn't make this one bad. But I can tell you that you're not going to find it to be to the level of what Hill House was. But I, I can't wait to discuss this with you if you finish it, Zach, because there's a lot of really, yeah. really interesting talks to be had about interactions. We might have to do a separate TV pod where we kind of go full spoilers because it's always so hard to talk about shows when, like, some people have watched one episode, some people have watched three episodes, some yeah. people have finished the whole, the thing. whole thing. So maybe when we finish that, uh, maybe when we finish Squid Game, because I haven't caught, had a chance to catch it, but I, I know you are definitely on top of that, knowing you. Alina's seen it, I think, twice. <laughs> I've seen the first. I've seen the. I've seen the first half. I am uh, working on a video for that. I this hear, thing it's became all about a phenomenon. Six. Everybody keeps saying that. I, I know everything that happens, obviously, because you know I, I was I've been working on stuff, and Alita just watches. I just look up and just people getting murdered and sliced. And there's games of tug of war that I it makes me never want to play tug of war again. I see why it's so hyped up. It is incredible to see that Netflix released their numbers, which, mind you, weren't just uh, viewers. It was also watch time. Look at that. <laughs> starting a lot into YouTube over here. They know how important watch time is. Yep. Um, and it was very interesting to see the difference, how a bunch of viewers can watch these, but then shows. Like, Zach, how is it that Kissing Booth has not as many viewers, but more watch time? I don't know what y'all watching on the Kissing Booth. <laughs> it's those teens watching it over and over. Bridgerton secured number one spot for both, and I hear that there is a reason why. They claim, though, that with Money Heist and Bridgerton being at the top, that there was another show that was about to beat it, and they said it was Squid Game. This thing has been viewed so many times that it, it, it's literally become, I, and it's only like the first, what, two weeks, the most viewed thing on Netflix. You know, I, I, I mentioned this in the Discord. Shout out to the Discord. Check out the link in the description to come chat movies with us. Um, but they the way that Netflix has like a screensaver going, I, I got it on my TV over there. And, and they constantly are cycling through movies that are on the platform or coming soon to the platform. As soon as they started showing that picture of like those multicolored MC Escher stairs that are bleeding with all those people in the outfits going up and down. I feel like I knew that was going to be a hit. It's such like a like a eye-catching image. Like it's it's the, the kind of thing too? where it goes across your TV and it's just like, uh, what is that? Is that a reality show? Is that a horror movie? Like I I want to read the description and then you read the description. It's like all right, let me catch an episode. And I, I it's crazy how you know I I it does make you feel like there was probably somebody at Netflix who recognized like this is a powerful image or a powerful just log line. And if we just drop this into every subscriber's feed, this is going to be the number one show. Because, like, they're adding stuff to the platform all the time. They're, it says something specific about how they put it out there that this became such an instant, instant hit. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing was at number one, nothing else could beat it. But, you know, there was brand new shows coming out, and that thing remained at number one. I might still even be at number one right now, to be honest. We haven't checked. Uh, they, on top of the imagery, you also have the costumes. You have mm -hmm. things that people were probably going to be wearing this Halloween alone. You have a premise in where it's, you know, obviously Hunger Games caught on, Battle Royale, but the idea of people surviving. It reminded me a lot of the platform as well, which Netflix also had this mm -hmm. concept yeah. where you're looking at 
this game where everyone's in, where they're comparing it to be more fair than the outside world, but in reality, they're still fighting, you know, for their lives. They're all coming from different backgrounds. Uh, I think the characters are engaging enough as well, because that was another interesting part. That first episode, everyone knows why they're clicking it. And yet the 30, the first 30 minutes have nothing to do with the game. It's just this dude who's never there for his daughter, who's over betting on, on uh, horses, all this stuff before you even get into uh, what the premise is supposed to be about. Is it bloody? Yes. As someone who, when I'm watching something, I'm trying to cut out what, what footage I can show without YouTube digging me. It is massively bloody. But I see why people are binging this left and right. And I don't know. Does it say a lot about our society and the world <laughs> that this is the one thing that everyone worldwide has gravitated towards? Maybe. Um, but I can see why it's engaged so many people. And I think it's a, it's a fun watch. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, a lot of love for that in the comments. I'm seeing also Pink Sweats, uh, Sweets rather, uh, asked us if we had seen scenes from a marriage. Uh, I'm deep in New York Film Festival stuff right now, so that's why I'm not up on Squid Game. That's why I'm not up mm-hmm. on scenes from a marriage, but that's one that I really want to watch. I'm, I'm, I feel like you'll probably get around to that one as well at some point too. It's got, yeah. it's got our boy. It's got Jessica, who I like a lot. So uh, we will get there. Uh, and Devesh also asked any love for Star Wars Visions. I haven't gotten around to that. I know opinions are mixed online. Are you watching any of that or not really? Not yet because everyone yelled at me to go see What If. I made a joke about What If and they're like, how, how dare you make fun of What If. So now I'm having a rewind. <laughs> I'm picking up where I left off on What If because uh, people claim that it's going to be better working on a video for that. And then I might get to this one because I've, I've been hearing great things about the voice cast. I, I don't know too much about the story though. So uh, we'll we'll catch up with some of those and maybe do on a bigger TV pod at some point. But uh, we'll move on to some New York Film Festival selections because I have been attending the New York Film Festival for the past two weeks, catching a whole bunch of interesting movies, stuff that's going to play a major role in ter- as far as awards are concerned going into the rest of the year. Uh, the opening night film for the New York Film Festival was the only world premiere they had, but the, it's got this selection of films from TIFF, films from Telluride, films from Venice, uh, films from Cannes. It's just a really interesting uh, slew of like high art, awesome movies, stuff that I've really, really liked so far. Uh, but if we are going to start it out with the world's premiere, the opening night movie, Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, that's a good place to go. Tell because, me. Uh, this is the, the first film that's directed by just Joel. Just. There's only one Cohen on that uh, director slot. Very weird. Was not ready for that one. Uh, and not really ready for the whole idea that Ethan might be retiring. Did you hear that news story that he might just be done directing movies? We might be. We might have gotten our last Cohen Brothers movie already. And I hear that that's why he's doing it. The Wachowskis, one of them isn't, it's only solo project yeah, yeah, for the next one as well. I think. So I, not Lana, although so, I don't really remember. Yeah, something like that. So, I mean, yeah, I guess every... It's the year for, for the director-sibling duos to break up? or The siblings to just be done, I guess. But uh, tell me about this one. I know this one will be on Apple TV. Yes. But should I should I be reserving my ticket at the Music Box? <laughs> uh, well, I, I do think it is a very beautifully filmed, dynamic-looking movie. Shouts to the cinematographer Bruno Del Bonnell, who has done a lot of really great films. Uh, and... I don't think he's ever won an Oscar, so he's, you know, putting himself firmly in the spotlight to potentially get awarded for what I think is a really striking, really unique looking film, you know, shot in this, like, very uh, 
this very contrasty, very desaturated black and white. Um, and also I, something that I found very interesting were the sets, which are so minimalist uh, in a way that you don't normally see with when paired with a Shakespearean adaptation, right? Like you, you think Shakespeare and you usually get these grand castles and uh, big lavish sets and, you know, it's a chance for the production designers to go crazy. Here they strip it all down. It kind of kind of looks like a spa in the desert almost more than a than a king a castle in Scotland, but in a way that I really okay. liked, in a way that simplified the story and kind of drew your attention to to the actors and kind of you know, if you want to say it's like the vacancy in their souls or something cuz we're dealing with uh Macbeth of course here. Now, uh I am not somebody who generally responds to the work of William Shakespeare. I know I'm a I'm a controversial opinion in that way, uh, but you know I think a lot of people have this thing with uh, Shakespeare in that the dialogue is, is so um, maybe overly eloquent in a way that's almost hard to read it as English, right? You, you're almost distracted by the vocabulary of it and not getting into the emotion of it. So that's for me been where I struggle with a lot of this stuff, and. That is alleviated when your lead actor is Denzel Washington, who's a guy that I think I would understand what he means if he was speaking Mandarin. Like, he he communicates, he emotes, you see it in his face, you see it in his body language, you see it, like, in every little furrow of his brow, you know exactly what's going through his head. And I think just the chance to, to put him in the center of this story gives him so much to work with. It, it's one of my favorite Denzel performances already, despite not really being somebody who responds to the source material. He's just so good in this. Uh, I even think he kind of blew away Francis McDormand, who a lot of people expected this to be really a bi uh, big showcase for her because she's been wanting to do uh, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth for several years. You know, I, I found her performance to be a little bit more mannered, a little bit more uh, calculating in a way. And obviously Lady Macbeth is a calculating figure, but I just felt Denzel really going through the highs and lows mm -hmm. of Macbeth. And I, I was I was blown away by him. Uh, but good cast in this one. You know, people who I wasn't expecting to show up, Corey Hawkins, I, I didn't realize was Macduff in this thing, and he's very, really? very good. Uh, I'm also happy to see hey, Harry Melling continue to get work. He was in uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, so he's now, like, in the Coen Brothers rotation. So, yeah, uh, I, I dug this one. Um, I, I, you know, it's not necessarily... What, um, not necessarily like the most riveting. Uh, it's not going to make Shakespeare exciting for people who don't already like Shakespeare, but it's done with enough high level craft that I think you got to go out your way to watch this one. Compared to the 2015 Macbeth, the one with uh, Fassbender, how would you compare the two? Well, I mean, just personally, just off of your own. The, the 20... I know that they're completely different. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the 2015 Macbeth, it, it's drowned out in that visual style of Justin Kurzel's, which I know a lot of people really respond to because he, it is striking. But beautiful. I almost feel like it's, it's visuals first and, and not necessarily performance first. And this is definitely a performance first uh, version of the story. Um, so I okay. think that, that worked better for me. I liked it more than the Kurzel version. Solid. Yeah. 
Um, so I don't know. Is there anything else from the New York Festival that jumps out to you? I, I can go through just some of my favorites, some of my least favorites. Uh, but there's a lot of yeah. big stuff there. Um, Which, what did you hate the, the most? Hate the most? What did you despise that I shouldn't be wasting my VPN bandwidth in these upcoming festivals? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't really hated everything. I gave a really bad rating to uh, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, uh, which it's got a pretty Bro! awesome title, and I'd been wanting to see it the for premise. a while. Yeah, it, it's a really fun premise. You know, it, it's a movie that sort of is divided into three different parts, and I think okay. the first part. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit slow. It's a, it's kind of building, but it's not. I don't. It, it kind of is just setting the table. Then it's got this second section that's very, very, um, just random. It's kind of montagey, but like in a way that that's. I don't know. I, I I hate using the word pretentious, but it's, it's almost like a PowerPoint in the middle of the movie about like human nature or something. I, I, it took me out of it, made me kind of wanted to end watching it. And then it gets to a final third part where everybody kind of comes together and they have like a really interesting discussion that like I would have loved to have seen as a play. Like I thought the that whole sequence worked really well for me. But you sit through just an hour right. of of really frustrating and like understimulating material. It, it, it I don't know. Um, it didn't coalesce for me. I, I liked parts of it. I really hated the ending. I'll, I'll also throw that out there. I thought the ending was stupid. Um, but there's, there's you're making me want to watch it. There, yeah. I mean, look, I want to know your opinion about it. But I thought I might. A lot of it was really strange in terms of like, what is it even trying to achieve? Might have to end Chicago Fest with this one. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll enjoy it more than me. I, I didn't see it in a crowded theater i imagine that might be a different experience but you know uh that's probably the low light for me um the other one that i was at least upset um at my reaction for even though i don't know i wouldn't say i disliked it uh was unfortunately wes anderson's latest oh the french dispatch um yeah you said it was garbage tell me more (laughs) i wouldn't say it's garbage it was just you know Wes Anderson is obviously... Visual vomit? Sorry? Visual vomit, I believe, I, were your words? I, I, that's the opposite of how I would describe any Wes Anderson movie. If anything, it's, like, almost too sterilized and clean, you know? I, I, called, I called him a, a cuckoo clock-ass filmmaker because, like, you know, the way that the cuckoo clock kind of works on a track and everybody yeah, lands in the perfect position, just it's so prescribed and, or, and uh, coordinated. The blocking is almost, like too precise you know everybody lands in like the perfect position in a way that this time at least this time i just found to be exhausting because the the characters just felt so paper thin you know he i like wes anderson movies because i think he's able to normally add just the right amount of emotionality that you kind of can view you, it gives you an endpoint for these characters. It gives you a way to either see yourselves through them or see them as an archetype. Here, it's not even you can see them as an archetype. They just don't have emotion, right? The, uh, the performances are really good. The set design is immaculate, but it doesn't feel like this is a world inhabited by human beings. It feels like dolls in a dollhouse 
of, of Wes Anderson's creation. And look, that that's going to be really pretty. He's a and he's an amazing artist. I, I would love to flip through flip through a picture book, but I'm also not going to expect a picture book to uh, move me the way that some of his films have. So if I've felt that they've always been paper mache characters, then I should enjoy this movie. Maybe, and maybe that's why some people really like this one is that they've never really responded to emotionality and this stuff. But like my favorite Wes Anderson movies are Rushmore uh, and. and uh, with Royal Tenenbaums, you know, because... I don't are... think he's gone back to that in yeah. a while. Yeah, like, I, it's just a little bit different, and I don't it know. It is man. different. It's, because, like, I felt this way a little bit with the Grand Budapest Hotel, too, so maybe I'm not the best person to trust, because I know people I would... loved that one. Okay. But that that's a movie that I also just felt at a remove from, right? Like, he, he doesn't yeah. want you to feel like you could be in that world. He wants you to just sit back and, and observe it as a show. He's a very... He's a very, like, everything exists only within the frame of that I'm creating for you. And th- it's amazing that he, we have a filmmaker okay. like him, right? You can look at a frame of this movie and you know that is a Wes Anderson movie. No other filmmaker in the world can make that. But it didn't charm me this time. And I, I'm, a little, I'm a little depressed about that, if I'm being completely honest. That's fair. So yeah, uh, Fresh Dispatch may be a little bit underwhelming for me in particular. <laughs> um, Magnitude says that I'm describing literally every Wes Anderson film. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so I, I said this. You can copy and paste a lot of the adjectives that you use for every Wes Anderson movie, but I just I felt like it wasn't in service of its characters like at all here, whereas it maybe is to some degree in others. You're not the first to say that, so I mean, I I feel like I think a majority of the audience now, and especially myself, like I know now what I'm getting into, so it's like I'm prepared. If you're yeah. telling me it's going to be like from the realm of, of Budapest, then I know exactly what to look forward to. Oh, I now this one again, the unexpected sequel. They claim to be A24's first <laughs> follow-up. Yeah, you said uh, it was better than the first, and I did like it more than the first. I I was not a huge fan of the original Souvenir. But Joanna Hogg is back for Souvenir 2, Electric Boogaloo, or whatever uh, rhyme you want to use there. And, and, and continuing the story very directly off the back of the first one. But the thing she doesn't continue at all is the tone. Because that first movie is is very dry. It's very cold. Dread. It's, it's, cold. There's an ominous, looming feeling in that film for very intentional reasons given the subject matter oh, yeah. of that movie. But it's a movie that left me feeling removed from it. Didn't didn't really feel like it opened itself up uh, to to examination, right? It just it really did feel um, like it was memories that the filmmaker was recreating, rather than necessarily um, a, a story to really feel like feel the characters for. For me, um, maybe I need to go back to it because I know that on your rewatch, you ended up liking the first souvenir. Thank more. you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, li- I liked it a little bit more than the first time. And now that I watched the souvenir too, it does make me want to revisit it, revisit it even a little bit more because this is such a fun, uh, like dissert dissection of the first film. It, it, I almost feel like any time any filmmaker makes an autobiographical movie, they should now make a sequel where they make a movie about how they made a movie about themselves because it's so interesting. Watch watching her try to balance uh, as the character wanting to do justice to the real life experiences yet also trying to make a tangible film that people that that her actors understand their character motivations and that the cinematographer 
uh, knows what the shot list is for the day because you know you can't just like try and recreate the shots from mem- from your memory uh, and it, the behind the scenes nature of all that stuff I thought was done in a way that I didn't necessarily it doesn't feel like other behind the scenes movies it's not like a disaster artist or anything like that it's it's much more about where is that line between reality and fiction where should it be uh, what is the responsibility of the filmmaker both to the story to themselves and to the crew around them and it's playing with that meta idea in some really interesting ways it, you know uh, again has that killer ending uh, with with a shot that just kind of yeah. perfectly sums up everything in in one shot it this is a really good one man i i liked i like this one quite a bit and yeah like i said it's, it's good enough that it makes me want to revisit a movie that i didn't like is this her filming the souvenir yeah the souvenir too that's what the story is basically Damn. Not 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 literally. Liter not actually, but basically. Yeah. It's like her character okay. filming the souvenir. Cause obviously it's Joanna Hogg's story being played by uh Swinton. Uh daughter of uh, Tilda Swinton. Um Honor Swinton. Okay. Because the first one, like you were saying, it is because you were seeing this just miserable couple. That you are in a room with them and you do not want to be in the room with them. That is what I absolutely hated about yes. the first. Um, okay. All right. I'm excited for this one. Then. I know what it was about. Like, I know it, I, it's supposed to, like, lead into her becoming a director, but okay. Yeah. So, definitely high up on my list. Um, t- thinking about what else. You haven't gotten around to either of the um, Hamaguchis yet. You didn't see Drive My Car or Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy? I have not seen them, but I also did not know the Drive My Car was 170 minutes long. Yeah, it's a pretty long movie, but, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things about that movie that I, I didn't expect to like. Um, but mm-hmm. here we are, uh, after I've seen the three hour Hamaguchi movie and the two hour Hamaguchi movie, and I want to go watch his <laughs> five hour movie, because he's got one of those too, and I've heard it's better than both of these. Then, uh, so, I, I... go ahead, go ahead. I have them both on my Chicago list. They are both also playing there. They flexed him on the schedule, too. They were like, and yet another one from the man. I was like, all right, I like to see that. Uh, I'm excited to see them. I know we got a, a screener for, for Wheels, so I'll be seeing that one. But this one, I may be going to the theater to see because there, there was no virtual, at least in terms of Chicago. So yeah. you hyped this one up okay, so madly, look, bro. L- let, me, let me say this, first of all. I was able to watch this on a digital screener from TIFF. So I had the advantage of being able to sit on my couch for the three-hour movie, um, which is helpful because I, <laughs> I, I took a bathroom break. One time I found myself getting sleepy. I stood up and walked around for five minutes, and I was able to do that because of the, I have this ability to pause at home that I don't in the movie theater. So mm-hmm. maybe some people are going to have a different experience with this because I, I don't know if I would have felt the same way had I, like, zoned off for five minutes and came back in. Like, I... I liked that I was able to do it at my own pace, um, but there is this really meditative quality to the movie. And if you get into the theater and could just sort of chill out and uh, float along with the movie, you know, don't don't wait for some big twist, don't wait for some big action moment. Just just sit with the dialogue, sit with the feelings of it. I think he's doing something really, really interesting here with his characters and with uh, the way he's trying to tell the story. Uh, it's essentially about this actor and director who, uh, after the, after losing his wife, g- 
goes to Hiroshima to put on a play and ends up hiring these actors who he, uh, you know, has different relationships with as the film goes along. Um, but he he's doing this thing where he's like stripping the emotion from their work and relate and it sort of relates to the way that he goes about his life in a very interesting way. Um, I just I thought it was a very is is a very rewarding look at this character who is take taking the long term process through is doing processing grief in long term right um, he's 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 actively suppressing what he's felt so that he won't have to go through uh, a certain experience and I think the ways in which Hamaguchi is able to kind of like. Um, it, I, I think what they're expressing here is just really interestingly told. I don't know, man. I, I kind of felt it fell into a rhythm with this movie, and I almost don't know what to explain with it. It is. I don't know if it's necessarily easy to analyze on one watch. It's one that I kind of want to go back and okay. and really look at like everything. But I was I was just captivated. I thought all the dialogue was really really good in this. Um, he's just got a particular rhythm to his stuff, both in Drive My Car and Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which is the other one that's playing all these fall film festivals. Uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is an anthology. It's three different stories that are unrelated to each other. But again, they're just these very peculiar interactions with people who are holding a lot on the inside and very gradually reveal themselves, right? Like, you, you, you take a picture of a person and it's like, how does this change when I when I volunteer new information about myself? Like, how are you now going to process what your thoughts about me? And there's just a very um, peculiar aspect to his films that I don't know if I can even put my, my finger on. But I was really, really blown away by these movies. I, I just kind of want to live in his worlds and, like, talk to his characters. All right, I am excited, dude. And Asako is uh, one and two. Those have been one of the biggest, uh, highly recommended movies. One of the first things that I had, uh, well, not one of the first things, but one of the things that I was, like, forced to put on my letterbox as a watch list. So that one's ready to go. Yeah. And then he's got Happy Hour as well. That one's streaming somewhere. Happy Hour is another one that I know a lot of people like, even though that one, I believe, is, yeah, that's that's a long one. That is a a movie. Decent. So, uh, but look at that, man. Good ratings. People like this one. Decent. All right. All right. Seems so, like the boy. So uh, let's talk the new Jane Campion really briefly, The Power of the Dog. Uh, this one premiered, I want to say, at Telluride. Had a big, got the third place audience award, I think, at TIFF. Uh, comes with a few recognizable faces in the cast. Lead actor is Benedict Cumberbatch, but also notably you have Kristen Dunst and Jesse Plemons, real-life married couple, playing a married couple in this movie. And then, surprisingly... Wait, wait, Cody, wait, what? Cody Smith-McPhee is kind of kind of the, the scene-stealer here. Kind of has a lot more really? to do than you see on his surface. Uh, it's a very interesting movie about a rancher who is... He, he's... He's this larger-than-life figure, you know? He enters the room, and everybody turns to see what he's doing because he he is, like, the powerful voice in the room. You, He's the kind of guy that you never want his attention to turn to you because you don't know what he's going to say. And I, I think uh, 
just examining that dynamic and what it does to their, this family and what it does to this farm uh, and what it does to these people is, is done in a really uh, patient and, and, and interesting way. Um, really well done, a, a really well told story here uh, from Jane Campion. You know, I, I started watching this one and it's another one that I had a digital screener of and I wanted to restart it because I thought I had missed something but then when I went through it, I realized like it's just one of those movies that's very patiently revealing bits about themselves. It's, it's giving you, here's a little bit about this character, here's a little bit about their dynamic. And, and as it stacks these pieces up, you, you, you arrive at a situation where there's, it feels like there's only one way for it to solve. And it's a very dramatic, uh, very dramatic twist. But it just feels right right like it just builds to that or way in a, a really or it builds to that point in such an organic way that the the whole story clicks into that into place and it's a movie that like i didn't know if i really liked it until it ended but it, when it ended i knew i thought it was great um i don't know how much i want to say about it other than like technically no, this is also a marvelous film nothing the, the music is great. The cinematography is awesome. I, I think it's going to get Oscar nominations both above and below. Really realize what this movie is doing. It's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. Uh, that was done with Jane Campion. She was doing this interview talking about like power dynamics and Hollywood and such. And um, I think obviously asked the Marvel question stuff, but like now nah, she killed that interview. She was just talking about the making of this movie and, uh, after making what was the pianist early on in her career, it, it, the talk alone had to be invested. I reread that interview twice, so I can only imagine how good this movie's going to be because I've been hearing nothing but great things. And this was going to be on Netflix as well, but again, yeah. if you can catch it at one of these film festivals, definitely do. Yeah, I think Power of the Dog is actually going to be uh, out not too long from now. Maybe somebody in the chat can confirm that. So. November 17th, I believe. Ooh, okay, so. <laughs> I know. Not too long, not too long. Um, I'll, I'll go quickly through a couple other ones because I know you're going to catch them soon. Sure. So I want to I want to save it for when we can both talk about them. But uh, let's talk briefly about the worst person in the world, which might be my standout Another from uh, the festivals so far. Might be my it, it's definitely in contention for my favorite film of right, the year. Go to the right. Go to the right. Just me over to the right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't so, sure what I was seeing there. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not. I don't love to go for that four and a half, but I, I really responded to this one. Uh, I think it's a pretty remarkable movie, both uh, in the character that it's trying to depict and the style with which it depicts it. You know, I, I wrote in my uh, mini review that this kind of feels like Amelie for millennials because it's got that sort of uh, fantastical nature to it in parts, but it's also uh, a, a little bit realist and a little bit more modern and a little bit uh, more slice of life. Uh, I kind of it kind of has in moments the pacing of Frances Ha in that sometimes you're just ca sort of catching glimpses of her life and it, it'll move through a couple months at a time and then it'll stop and and leave you in her situation and then it it'll move through time again to bring you to a new new part of her life and then stop again so you can uh, sit with her and and see how things have changed and I really. Uh, I really liked that portrayal of this character who, who's kind of gliding through her post-college years and trying to figure out the kind of person she is. Uh, you know, I don't think she's the worst person in the world, but I think we're, there's a lot we can relate to with her. Uh, 
I, I don't know. It, it's an incredible, incredible for performance here from uh, Renat Renive. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but she's so dynamic too. Uh, you kind of just are, are want to see what what's going to happen with her and what's going on. But you know the the way in which they they write these characters feels so true to life. Feels so reflective of the you know young adult experience. I like this one a lot. I. I'm very excited to catch it again. Uh, it's from Joaquin Trier, who uh, hasn't really made a film in this tone before, so it's really interesting to see him work on this one. Uh, I know what you're catching this one soon. I've list- I have I was really, really into this one. He did the Oslo film. He did Louder Than Bombs. Thelma. Did Thelma? Yeah. So big, big U-turn from Thelma to Worst Person in the oh. World. Oh. Okay, then. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I will be watching this one as if... Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, I also really, really liked one that I caught earlier today. So this one's a little fresh in my mind. Uh, it is the latest from the boy who did 20th Century Women and Beginners, Mike Mills, uh, a guy that I vibe with a lot. This one is called Come On, Come On. It stars Joaquin Phoenix. Also uh, got Gabby Hoffman and a surprise Scoot McNary. I did not realize Scoot McNary was in this until I started watching it. Uh, but the real crux of the story is between Joaquin Phoenix and the younger character uh, Jesse played by Woody Norman uh, Joaquin plays his uncle who is brought in to sort of help uh, take care of him during a period where his mother is, uh, has other things going on and it's it's sort of you know a strange uncle reconnecting with a, a younger kid I think there's films that are in a similar mo- mode about like adults who are taking care of kids but the adult needs to do some growing up too um so it's not necessarily the most original idea for a movie but i think the way that mike mills does this he he has a certain gift for um for i think depicting the kind of wonder and also uh intimidatingness of the world like he gets the idea that especially when you're young the world feels so big around you and so unknowable that it's both filled mm-hmm. with promise and filled with the potential for extreme hurt. 20th Century Women is a movie that I think really gets it at that, that idea, but here you really see it from the parent parenting perspective. Even if Joaquin's not this kid's parent, um, you know, you, you see how he's trying to make the world a, a safe and happy place for his nephew and how he's realizing like he can't make the world a safe and happy place for himself at the same time, right? Like, uh, I think it's it's a very beautifully articulated film about uh, about just how how life feels, how it feels to live it, how it feels to try and grow and, and learn. I really responded to this one. I know not everybody I saw it with uh, was as high as I was on it, but this is one of my favorites of the year for sure. Walking Phoenix is amazing in it, giving an anxiety filled performance that like it reminded me of. Uh, his, you know, uh, stuttery Oscar speech in like the right ways, I guess. I like this one a lot. I'm I'm hoping you get to catch it soon too. All right, yeah, that one's playing uh, one of the spotlights right in the middle of the festival for Chicago. Nice. Um, I'll mention very briefly the Ta- Todd Haynes documentary Velvet Underground, which. Uh, Ooh. It's this Apple really, TV on the 15th. Yeah, so this one's right around the corner for uh, people at home. 
It's a really cool documentary looking at uh, the legendary rock band, The Velvet Underground. And, you know, this isn't a documentary that necessarily holds your hand through a history of the band. I, I think it helps to maybe know a little bit about them, but I don't know if it's necessary to, to appreciate the, the way in which this movie is being told. I, visually, it was so captivating, so cool. It, it's not like a normal documentary in that they're uh, doing just crazy montages. This almost was more like a collage. Like, oftentimes they're showing you through split screen or like little screens in the corner and pastiches, um, multiple images at the same time and just kind of giving you like this feeling more than making you focus on any one thing, um, it, which was very cool because it's almost like the documentary is trying to communicate a vibe more than communicate history, right? They want you to feel what it was like to experience this art, to experience this music, and and, and uh, just the, what this era also meant uh, for all these people who who would go on to become Sounds icons. Cool. I yeah, I okay. dude, Todd Haynes. He he's a great director, and he wasn't going to approach this in like a cookie cutter way. He he really made this documentary all, right. all his own. So. If you're just interested in the form of documentary, even if you're not interested in the Velvet Underground, I think you got to seek this one out just because it's really cool in how they put this one together. And Apple's been doing the interesting stuff with that. What was the um, – they have the Beastie Boys doc too, and I know that was yeah. kind of done like a PowerPoint presentation with the guys on stage, so – It'll be interesting. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll wrap up uh, some New York Film Festival stuff. Tell I'll, me, bro. I'll, got, I'll get more on the Let next podcast, Let me see your score. Too. I can't see the whole thing. Let me see that score. Let me see that score. Uh, 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 uh. Four and a half again. Look, man. Okay. I, I have a weakness for Sean Baker. I'm, I'm the first to admit this. I just think the dude's movies are really, really good. Uh, he's got this very... Uh, th this kind of lo-fi nature to his work this kind of uh almost feels like docudrama in the way that his characters are aren't necessarily these big performances it feels like he's just on the street capturing these per real life people as they as they go even though it's all you know acted actors and scripts and whatever he he, mm -hmm. he finds these complex characters and he doesn't make them people you need to root for or people you need to believe in or people you need to love. He just makes them real conflicted people, people who, you know, maybe sometimes you, you hope they win and sometimes you kind of hope they lose because they're kind of assholes. Uh, this movie is no exception, starring Simon Rex, Dirt Nasty himself, as Mikey Saver, a former porn star who returns to his Texas town uh, after, you know, getting run out of the industry, essentially. And just his life, you know, scraping by, trying to put something together, and, and being a guy who constantly thinks he's, uh, he's getting the raw end in life, even when he's often fucking people over along the way, right? Like, it, 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 this is a guy who talks out of both sides of his mouth and never, never says anything genuine, but sometimes he actually is, is very charismatic and you can't help but, but kind of go along for the ride with him. It just feel these people feel very real. They they are flawed in really interesting ways, and it just I I was just very struck by how it's all put together. It's entertaining. It's dramatic. It's complex. I'm still thinking about some of these decisions, and I'm I'm just I I was really uh, 
I enjoyed the entire experience with it. You know, I think more than any other film that I've seen so far in the New York Film Festival, I was loving this from a moment to moment basis. You know, every, each new scene was like a new adventure. So <laughs> Red Rocket is one of definitely going to be near the top of my year end list. I'm very curious what you think about wow. this one because I've always I think I have a little bit more of an affinity for Sean Baker than you. Uh, I I know like I was huge huge on Tangerine. I know you like that as well. We both really like Florida Project. I don't know if you caught up with uh, Starlet, mm-hmm. which is another great one of his. But yeah, like I I just think he's maybe the the best American director when it comes to making complex character studies right now. I know our boy Simon won some big awards uh, in terms of acting for this performance, which I think is fantastic. I saw, I've not seen the trailer. I've only saw a clip to this. It's when he leaves the house and he's arguing with a woman. Yeah. That this looks like I might give it a similar score to you. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you will. I think you'll like this one, man. It's, it's a really cool one. I, I want to talk to uh, you more about you get- it when I don't have to spoil it. You know, did you get a screener or did you go see this? I went and saw this. Uh, this is A24, and A24 has been pretty strict about, like, we want you to see our movies in theaters. Uh, We're not giving out screeners. Fully aware, yeah. So, uh, so, you know. I think Chicago Critics may have picked this one up, so I won't be seeing this until November, and I don't know if it has a date. Yeah. Um, they just released the poster for it, but I don't know if it has a date. But, yeah. Okay. Definitely one worth keeping on the radar. Um, but, yeah. We'll do so. I'll continue rating movies on Letterboxd and writing some reviews on Twitter. So uh, be sure to keep up with my coverage from New York Film Festival there and keep up with Arts too because eventually he'll be uh, doing doing the fall festivals himself and we'll uh, keep you up to date with these movies as we see them. I definitely want to revisit more of them when we have a chance to go back and forth on them, right? Um, but that's good. my New York Film Festival stuff. Uh, we can take a couple questions if anybody has them because uh, I know that... Uh, Devesh just said, have you seen the George Clooney-directed Ben Affleck film? Uh, they just released the first uh, photo from it, The Tender Bar, which is coming in uh, late December, I think. Uh, it might be coming to Apple okay. TV, even. But, yeah, it's not playing any Ooh. of the fall film festivals. So, I don't... Gonna think... have to buy a new iPhone 13, then. <laughs> Get that six months. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think it's doing any of the fall film festivals, at least thus far like maybe it'll <laughs> pop up at afi or something and they haven't announced it yet i know uh they just okay. announced recently tick tick boom is going to premiere at afi fest so so that's another big premiere that's right around the corner um but yeah we haven't had a chance to catch that one yet um we can get into our picks for the oh wait actually we have another question here uh connor says would i be able to catch the worst person in the world online at chicago fest if i used a vpn i think if you are, I think worst person is being offered virtually at a uh, Chicago, right? Yes. Uh, but Chicago's doing, they didn't do this last year from what I knew this year. They are making it only Illinois, Missouri, Wisconsin. I don't know if you touch Illinois, then you were counted within the region. <laughs> if you're in the NFC North, I believe that you are allowed to watch it. So as long as you have a VPN, uh, that can get you into Chicago, which is usually a, a big point. You know, sometimes you'll have these festivals that are somewhere and there's like, there's no points in, I don't know, Memphis, t- Tennessee to like log into or whatnot. But unless they've changed their codes, because they have some like, they'll like update it 
some of these festivals will actually try to block a VPN, but for the most part, I think you should be good. The best way to test that out is if you go to the Chicago uh, site, they have some free screenings every week, like on Wednesdays. Try to sign up for one of those. And if you're able to watch that, I think you should be good there. Um, because I believe the tickets are only $20. So, I mean, that sounds like a deal to me. Mm -hmm. But if not, keep your eyes up because I believe AFI doesn't have restrictions. So that's also another place that you may be able to watch it. But I awesome. think you should be good. Uh, Devesh also asked us if we caught last night in Soho. Not yet, but but that one's high on the list. I'm always eager to catch a new Edgar Wright movie. That one is not playing at New York Film Festival, but uh, we should be getting a screening of that one soon. That's that's like last week of October, I think, right? Sir? Yeah. All right, so we can uh, wrap this up with some picks for the week. A uh, couple recommendations for the people at home, stuff that's available. I'm going to start this off with something that I haven't done in a little while on the Intercut Podcast, and that's uh, bring up Zach's Podcast Corner, because I got another podcast recommendation for y'all. Uh, and it's it's not necessarily a podcast, a new podcast, but it's a new few episodes within that podcast. I think I've mentioned the Big Picture Podcast on, on uh, the show before. It's, you talking about the Roger Ebert thing? I am talking about their Roger Ebert series. They had an eight-episode look at uh, Siskel and Ebert and their show at the movies uh, that they that ran over the summer. And it's a great deep dive into our boys, the, the founders okay. of the Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down movie game. Uh, it's Siskel and Ebert. It's, I, I, from the sounds of it, it looks like you listen to it, too. No, I'm waiting for it to finish. It's finished. <laughs> I, it's I literally. Oh, it is. Yeah, Damn it. dude. Literally last last week, I had driven three hours and I had it queued up on my Spotify, <laughs> ready to go. All right, but it delivers. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It totally delivers. I mean, there's, you know, first of all, there's the just an. Whenever you get to listen to some of the clips that they find, it's great. Like, he's clearly done the research, done the deep dives, and found some of the interesting stuff. But also, some of the interviews are so illuminating, particularly, like, I, there's so much stuff that I didn't know about how Ebert handled the show when Siskel was first coming down. Uh, with, I think it was cancer that he ultimately died from. Um, and how they tried to maintain the show and, you know, had Siskel call in for some episodes and stuff like that and, and things about their relationship that I didn't know that weren't in the documentary from a few years ago um, really interesting stuff so yeah, any anybody who has a soft spot in their heart for that at the movies program you, you have to get on this podcast it's a, it's a great great series so on the big picture check out their Siskel and Ebert series it, it ran during the summer so you gotta go back a few but there's eight episodes really good worth uh, really good and worth your while um, but we can get into some movies. I don't know if you got any picks. I can start it off with something that we haven't had the chance to talk about yet on Intercut, uh, and it is a recommendation from me, even if it is, like, one with some caveats, one's, one with some hesitation, hesitation, but I really enjoyed Annette. Uh, that, we're talking about musical events of the year. Look, I had a lot of fun with this bizarre movie that does not make a whole lot of sense, does not really need to, in my opinion, because you've j just got some really crazy, memorable things happening. Uh, there's that meme from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place that goes around that that's like, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. Well, this is that as a musical, right? Like, they don't sing in metaphors about how much they love each other. The song is literally, we love each other so much repeated over and over again and, and it's there's almost like this like 
Dadaist deconstruction of the musical form that comes from it. Like you, when you repeat an idea so much that it'd be almost like, or you, you're so like obvious with your emotions that it almost becomes not about the emotions that the characters are speaking and the way that you're portraying them all. I just was very captivated by this totally out there movie. What did you think about Annette? Because it is, it is unlike any of the other movie musicals we got this year. I've only seen the opening two scenes when they were posted. The opening number and his comedy sketch. (laughs) You went back and saw Holy Motors. I did. I wanted to prepare for the the Leo Carrick's experience. Were you prepared? No, no. Can you prepare for that? I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I guess I was prepared in the sense that I knew not to expect anything because they will, they, he will always defy your expectations. Um, there are a lot of really fun tricks and trades and, and little moments here and there, but it, it is not a movie that really t- like works in the conventional sense that movies are supposed to yet I didn't really mind that because I found it so bizarrely entertaining in a moment to moment situation that I just, I I could have watched another two hours of it. It's already a long movie, but it it was just, it kept becoming more interesting to me. I don't know if I thought it was like very good, but I, I just, I didn't want it to turn. I didn't want it to end. I think the director is full of himself. That's another story. I don't know how that would bleed it into into the concept that you're telling me right now, but I will I will sit with it and give my thoughts later. The daughter does not say a single word the entire time, but it does so. See, Devesh is onto something. You don't need to like it. Yeah, yeah, so here Devesh says, I walked home after seeing it. I kept blaming myself for not liking it, but it really is the film's fault. I... I I agree. Like, this is not a movie that is making itself very accessible. And uh, I don't know if a movie necessarily has to make itself accessible, but, like, this is the thing. Like, not everything is for everybody. And, like, that's why I say this is a recommendation with hes- with hesitation because, like, this, this is not a rewarding movie in the traditional sense. It was like, I'm going to go see the story, and at the end it's going to feel like the story has been wrapped up neatly in a little bow or whatever. It's not that mm-hmm. movie, but, like, it gives you some scenes that I don't think will leave your mind anytime soon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I thought about Annette. I guess one last recommendation that I'll have uh, for people is on Hulu, a, no- a show that I know you're watching. Uh, it's only Murders in the Building. We've gotten through seven episodes, I believe, so Very far good. publicly. Uh, just had a, They just had a really interesting kind of... Uh, side character episode. I don't know if you have caught all all seven that are out um, focusing on one of the non-central characters and I know there's some uh, debate online as to how good that seventh episode is. I really like when a comedy will try and change up the form and and give you something different but still within the realms of the universe. Like, it definitely is like a big swing but I think I found it to be um, like I found there to be enough interesting choices in it that I really liked it. That's all uh, getting ahead Which of myself, ca- though. The first six episodes are extremely delightful. Uh, this this murder mystery show with Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez. You know, I'm really... It's crazy to me watching this now. How did we not have Steve Martin 
on TV any earlier. Like, is he not kind of the perfect star for a sitcom like this? The like goofy, but has some pathos. He can give give you the emotionality, but he's just wickedly funny at saying like he can twist almost any line into a zinger. It, it's crazy that he hasn't had. He's a not on TV, Zach. He's not on TV, Zach, because they wouldn't show the stuff that he sees on TV. It's streaming. Oh yeah, it's Hulu. They're fantastic together, yeah. though. I think, uh, surprisingly, I, I think even Selena Gomez really fits within their, uh, yeah. what is it, trio, uh, as they're trying to explore what's going on in, in, in the building, as they're trying to create their podcast. I really like the ins and outs. Who is the, who? because I only saw the first five, six, whatever they sent us when they sent us the screeners. Who's the side episode on? Uh, the side episode is on um, Nathan, what's his name? Nathan Lane's son, the uh, the deaf character. Who show, he just shows up very really? briefly. So it is really like a peripheral character, although, you know, the events of the episode show you how he's tied into everything. Um, but what's okay. interesting is because he's a deaf character, they do the entire episode without any dialogue, which is really cool. Like, it's just a, a, oh, a an interesting damn. way to switch okay. up the situation and, and keep the show fresh and unexpected, but, but not necessarily leave the universe that we're in. So I really like that seventh episode, seventh episode. I know not everybody did, but... Uh, the show, on the whole, has been delightful. Like even if it's not necessarily the the most like crazy, hard to figure out mystery, uh, it's the comedy and the, and the the relationship between the characters that is ultimately really winning here. Any reason to see Martin Short and Steve Martin interact for a duration, a longer durated period, a longer period of time is, is great in my book. I told you stop watching Nine Perfect Strangers and watch this one, man. I'm glad you finally. <laughs> finished Nine Perfect Strangers. <laughs> yeah, I, di- I didn't exactly quit Nine Perfect Strangers, and uh, maybe that's Fantastic. a regret because that show goes downhill. Um, that yeah, I don't not not my pick for well, the for sure. <laughs> um, all right, to wrap it up, I got I don't know if you had any more. Nah, that's it. All right, uh, I don't know if we had any more questions. Just some of the other stuff that I was saying here. I know someone had requested another movie. Have you seen Taste? It's oh yeah, twenty twenty one film. I don't think this has not played anywhere near us so far, so I have not yeah. seen this one. We, we get recommendations uh, sometimes for, for films that aren't widely available in the U.S. yet. And, uh, like, yeah. uh, we, we do our well, best, but, like, it's hard, it's hard to keep up. Black, all Black the Cat also said movies. we should watch yeah. for Asian movies. Uh, well, that one's not out yet, but I would recommend rewatching the episode because Zach has a couple that he noted on. Uh, really and then in terms guys. of... Debish says... Nathan Lane, Tina Fey was a surprise dude. When I saw Nathan Lane, because I know the character you're talking about, because they literally, uh, they speak sign language behind his back, or yeah. not even in front of his back. Um, so the fact that he got a whole episode, I got to catch up on that one. Uh, I don't it's know so if there's he... other ones. I'm going to go through mine if you see. And uh, Devesh mentions the 30 Rock connection. Uh, I feel like there must be, because even the neighbor uh, who he uses to get in touch with Tina Fey is played by, uh, I think his name is like Malik Ponchoy or something like that, who was... Alec Baldwin's assistant on 30 Rock. Um, so, uh, Dan, let me check. Dan Scard... Is, is the crew 30 Rock alums or something? I would assume... Yeah, so Don Scardino, who directed the most 30 Rock episodes, directed two episodes of this, uh, of Only Murders in the Building, so maybe... Um, checking John okay. Hoffman, who's the co-creator. We didn't mention that Steve Martin is the co-creator of the show, too, so another reason why maybe he yeah. uh, is finally coming to TV. And the podcast. And yeah, I see a couple of other they ones. Got 17 subscribers. <laughs> um, 
before I go through my recommendations and wrap up, and we'll be doing the Patreon hangout right after this. While the patrons are over there, you'll be getting a link. Uh, Ryan had asked, have you guys seen the Why the Last Man? My personal... I ain't got someone over here. Right here, bro. Issue number, issue number one. I think I'm going to wait for all, for all of it to be out. It's depressing, man. It's actually a lot more... Not not that it was a, that I expected it to be fun. It's a very depressing show that I, I do think is doing a, uh, a very good job at um, getting the characters. The characters look exactly like they do in the comic and the graphic mm-hmm. novels. Um, it's... I, I don't know if you could call it just like apocalyptic fatigue from it, but I guess like you're, you're going through the motions of, you know, the beginning of it. It's like, oh, everyone's gone. How are we going to put a plan in action? Um, I don't think it's bad by any means necessary, but I was watching that alongside what would be my first pick of the week, Hulu's Reservoir Dogs. That yeah. just ended up becoming the one that I started gravitating a little bit more to. You know how excited I was for why, but Reservoir Dogs really surprised me. I really like this, uh, just a bunch of kids who are living in their small town. They're trying to save up enough money to go to California, and they don't realize that the stuff that they're doing kind of makes up their own little tiny gang. So when you're a gang, you end up becoming a rival to whatever the other gang is. And uh, I just like their shenanigans, the ins and outs of what they're going through. Um, you know, it, uh, because they're indigenous characters, you know, they're either reflecting with uh, their older. Um, relatives one of the characters even has like these flashbacks whenever he gets hit where he's talking to an even older ancestor uh personally i really like it uh, i would highly recommend that one it's been a good time um and i believe taika serves as producer on it so yeah if you like his sense of wrote the pilot there. so he he's kind of like creator helped steered, bro. helped steered the show um so yeah I i've mean, been liking him yeah you get a little bit of the taika sensibility but yeah, it's a really cool show, really fun show. Another one of those shows that like just introduces you to a whole cast of characters that kind of instantly become like you instantly fall fall into that world, and you know you can recognize elements of those characters and people you know. Um, a lot of faces that I, I wasn't familiar with, although one I was. Uh, in where is he? Is he? You pop that episode? We talking? We talking? One of the middle episode? Yep. You talking to driving instructor? <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, I don't even know if they're gonna credit him on there. I'm yeah. he's weird sometimes. You'd have to go like by the episode, but yeah, uh, yeah, your boy does pop up in here. Kills it. Yep. So saw lot... that episode twice, bro. Yeah, it's it's a hilarious show. Um, hoping that's one that sticks around for a little bit too. Uh, you know, so uh-huh. they can continue to grow and stuff with that show. But yeah, definitely like it. It should be one. One of my other ones, I know that you had recommended Annette on Prime. Uh, if you wanted to see anything else, there's a good doc called Polly Murray about the uh, activist, author, poet. It comes from the same documentarians who did the RGB one. And this is practically them saying, nah, this person, they were the ones who really <laughs> pushed RGB to do a lot of the stuff that they did. That one premiered at Sundance. It is now on Prime for you to watch. But another docu-series I would recommend on Prime is Lulu Rich. Yeah. This thing is wild. The whatever type of scheme you want to talk about this yoga company that told, you know, stay-at-home moms that you too can make it rich. Maybe, but make sure that you buy all our products so that we can make it rich. Uh, for those of you who have been, what is it, Avalon, if you've been on Herbalife, any Mary Kay, Young all these living. things. This is a – stop, bro. That had to, that one's too recent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. The rich covers that stuff uh, from the perspective of this dynasty, really, this, this – uh, what, dude, they said a number in episode three where I was like, there is no way. They said like $3 billion annually this company was bringing in. 
that they were booking Katy Perry and not even knowing who Katy Perry was just to do a little like, social. They're, 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 they're sock hop? Yeah, Katy Perry, come sing it. They were making so much money with this thing that it became like, uh, I have not finished it. I'm halfway through. I know they gave us some of the screeners as well um, to see it early, but I would highly recommend this show. If you if you were someone you know or is devastated by Lula Rich, definitely give this show a try. Um, it's a very fascinating uh, look at what happened with this um multi-level marketing yeah no, scheme I mean, if you've ever uh, wondered like what is the difference between a pyramid scheme and multi-level marketing and why are some things able to operate whereas others are so dude breaks it down well yeah it, it's a really good breakdown not just of like the rules that kind of define these different things but also just like what it looks like to be on the inside right like they do a great job in this documentary of showing you how this company kind of grew organically and in the many the many ways in which like it's they have elements of a legitimate business but they have practices that make them very illegitimate um and i think it does Mm -hmm. does a good job of kind of just putting it all out there for you to see how this impacts people the people who are really involved right yeah so that'd be another one there over on hbo i'll be watching it's solid. Over on HBO, I'll be catching up on The Long Halloween, which is a two-part animated series from DC that's adapting the graphic novel. Very excited for that. Criterion has a little short called Stuffed that I saw at South by, and I would highly recommend that one. Till Death was a, a little movie. I think I liked it a little bit more than you did. Megan Fox coming in to I do her business. I still haven't caught it yet. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Bro, I, I know Amanda liked this one. Special features, too. <laughs> Check it out. I don't want to tell you anything. In yeah. the trailer that they play is also really good on Netflix when it auto plays because right before the stuff starts, I went in seeing nothing. So don't see anything, Zach. Just go see it. Yeah. Um, that one's yeah, there's a, a spoiler on, on your screen. I didn't even realize how much it is on Netflix, and I hope that pops off, bro. Um, again, just I'm not saying it's a masterpiece, but it is. It, it was a fun watch. Uh, but my final one will be on Showtime. I just got Showtime, and Paramount and Peacock. I am all in on the streaming service. I was even telling you, yeah, wow, like, bro, I'm. <laughs> Bleeding dry yeah, over here, but good thing we shows- got rid of those uh, bundle cable packages, huh? <laughs> Bitchin, the Rick James doc, not yeah. what I'm doing right now with all these streaming services, <laughs> is a documentary that we caught at South by, I think. Yeah. Um, or Tribeca, maybe. In Tribeca, my bad, Tribeca. Incredible <laughs> documentary. Really quick, I just want to say that it's playing on Showtime. But when I logged into Showtime, it said three days left before it expires. I don't know what that's about, but I know that they picked up the rights to it. And this is a documentary that not only has the rights to Rick James, which we're always talking about. Whenever an official doc is approaching a subject, they tend to do it from a more legacy perspective. They're they're not trying to break them down in any way, shape, or form. Nah, man. It is so rare to get a doc like this that's got the insight views not only of his family members and the people around him, the people who toured with him. This thing gets into everything. It is not excusing any of his actions, if you know uh, Rick James, but it is also not belittling the impact that this man had on music. It is one of the best music documentaries and one of the best documentaries that has come out this year, in my opinion. It's over on Showtime. Again, I don't know what's going on because it's got a date there, but uh, I hope that they keep it on there, and I hope it even gets a a wider release, gets put on Tubi and and everything else (laughs) so that people can catch it because I know that Showtime is – not everyone's going to subscribe to Showtime, yeah. um, but everyone should be catching this doc because it is fantastic. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we talked about when we initially looked at this movie was that uh, despite the fact that this has the family's approval, which is like an increasing trend in um, the like 
you know, music documentary world where the artist has mm -hmm. final say on a lot of this stuff. Um, what, what was cool is that despite the fact that the, the family is uh, helping this documentary is they don't shy away from a lot of the, the less flattering aspects of his life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and usually the state doesn't want that. Yeah, and that gives you a, a realer picture of the artist, right? Like if you're actually trying to make a documentary that tells you this guy's story, you kind of want to know the whole story, right? So, yes, sir. I also thought this was a great documentary, looking at a really iconic figure. So, if you have any curiosity about Rick James, definitely, definitely go check out that one on check the Showtime. Um, but and I'll have to have Love Witch as well. Yeah, yeah. I see they're talking about it. I search it up right now. It seems like it's free on Vudu. It's on Canopy. I remember when you came over to Chicago that one time, and this was actually playing somewhere. I think you it wanted was to playing... go. It was playing like at Gene Sisko or something. Exactly. Yeah, I was like, I can't remember when. Should we go? Like, I I want to see the theater, but we had a limited time. We we decided pizza was yeah. a better option. Well, pizza was a better option. Yeah. We didn't even get the damn pizza either. But I remember this. Uh, Every time that this movie gets brought up, I haven't seen it. I will watch it because I saw him talking about it in the chat. Watch it uh, just in time for October. But that's always what I think about. That this was just like, should we watch The Love Witch? Should we go get a slice of pizza? I <laughs> uh, got one more question if we're watching American Crime Story Impeachment. You know, I watched uh, all of the oh, yeah. OJ one and found it compelling. And then I, I started the Gucci one and kind of fell off from it. So I Versace. You're right. Versace. My bad. Um, so I haven't just, I don't know. I've, I've like a, I'm just really not vibing with most Ryan Murphy products. Right. Um, if I hear right enough now. good things about this one, I'll, I'll catch it. But yeah, uh, I haven't started it yet. She's but what EP. about you? Monica. She's EP on it, dude. Yeah. Which again, talking again, going into again? the discussion we just had, like, is that a little bit too close <laughs> to really tell the story? I, th that being said, it is um, a story that is often told not from her perspective, so I get it. Um, uh, like I was saying, I kind of, I kind of want to let a few more episodes of uh, American Crime Story impeachment come out before I decide to invest my time. I don't want to get nine perfect strangers same. again. I still don't understand why you're watching that one, but insecure. It's got a really Succession. good cast, man. Bo both impeachment and really nine perfect cast. strangers. But Curb Your Enthusiasm's coming back. I got other shows that I'll be watching on a weekly basis. I'm sorry. It's almost succession season, bro. It's almost succession season. almost succession season. And after that, it don't even matter. So yeah. uh, I will have that one, especially when, once it's done. Oh, impeachment is goofy. Okay, well, <laughs> first, review, <laughs> yeah. first reviews are in. Shouts to Julieta, who's uh, watching it, but not recommending it, apparently. <laughs> Um, so we I will catch it, too. think that just about does it, unless you are one of our... Uh, patreon patrons not too late to head over to the patreon and sign up for as little as one dollar a month because we are going to uh get into uh google hangout talk with some of y'all we try to do those once a month so among the many fun uh benefits of becoming a patron of either the atz show let me explain patreon or the intercut patreon you can get yourselves that invite so uh maybe head over to patreon.com uh other than that we are going to wrap this one up. Uh, that's about all. I can catch more from me at Z at Zshevich. Z-S-H-E-V is in the Velvet Underground. I-C-H. Art, where can people more, catch more from you? You can find me over at LME Explain on Letterboxd. Going to try to actually update that bad boy yeah. over on Twitter. Going to actually try to post some recommendations on there. Uh, but over on YouTube, we're getting back to it. 
had a little bit of a delay from the last uploads that we had, but now that it's festival season, going to try to get a lot more recaps up with these live streams as well, be able yeah. to get it just directly to you. And they're just a bunch of franchise stuff, dude. October is stacked, not just with horror movies, but we've got new 007, man. I got all four that I already, I'm already cutting up trying to do a timeline video. We got The Return of You. We've got Lock and Key. We got a new paranormal movie. It's too much. It's a lot. And then a fist of Ed, festivals in between. How was Edgar Wright putting out a horror movie? Know. It's it's a Dune. Dune, I bro, I see Dune on Thursday. I see Dune on Thursday. I take a strap this morning. You got yours right. Oh no, but I'm seeing it on Thursday. I don't need a ticket. Nah, bro, you got to see that in the cinemas, Dune in cinemas. I'm, I'm seeing it in the cinemas. I'm seeing it at the New York Film Festival cinemas. I'm seeing it at Alice Tully Hall. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you. Yeah. <laughs> it provided they uh, they don't fill up and uh, lock people out like they did for the tragedy of Macbeth screening. So I gotta get there early. Um, yeah, but we're yeah. That's one of the things. Thanks for those of you who uh, stuck with us through there a little bit of technical difficulties earlier, and uh, we are gonna try and be doing these intercut live episodes occasionally on the channel. I'm not sure yet how frequently we're gonna do it, but one of the reasons it, we want to do that is so we can provide um, some more updates with as things happen. If if there's a big news story that drops or if there's a award ceremony that happens, we can provide you a more instant reaction and also get these episodes out a little bit more regularly so we, we have some time to uh, cut up those big brackets episodes or those list episodes to be nice. And then here we can kind of just hang back and chat and take questions as we go. So uh, have a fun time hanging out with all of y'all. If you don't do it with us live, you can listen to every, every Intercut episode uh, on Mondays through iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever your favorite pod, favorite podcatcher is, I like Overcast, and then make sure you're headed to YouTube to also subscribe to youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break through the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Monday, and please leave us a comment, like the video, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star review. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever those are. Also, Patreon, we are at IntercutPod. And there you can get updates from us, from me, from Art, from all the guests that we feature throughout the week. Good time to follow those social media feeds, like Art said, as we get into that festival season, blockbuster season, big movie season. You know, get, need those instant reactions. Can't wait for the new Intercut upload. We are uh, doing what we can through social media. So thanks again for tuning in. And until next time... I'm not brave. I'm just not in the mood to disappoint everybody. <laughs>